Blog Talk Radio. the number one internet sports talk show in the world and welcome to our affiliate stations uh, this is the balance this is the one place where fanatics can come together and we'll talk about their favorite teams uh and uh, of course we bring it all to you from an analytical point of view well that might be stretching a little bit Nine one seven eight eight nine eight five one six is my digits if you want to call and talk sports with us over the next two hours, my name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. I am guiding this ship through the wavy storms of sports that have happened this past week and what's coming up in the next week or the next year and, and what have you. Great show on tap today. We've got us an IndyCar champion, Joseph Newgarden, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, standing by. We're going to break down the 2017 IndyCar season and what's going on uh, for the 2018 uh, season. Some changes there. Maybe chat a little Notre Dame football with him as well. And then uh, a little bit later on, we got Tyson Lodgeslayer of uh, OnPitRoad.com joining us and talking to us about NASCAR up in New Hampshire. Racing for that big lobster this week. And in the second hour, we'll get into some football talk. Week three is an all doom and gloom. Well, Ed Kratz, our official uh, NFL contributor uh, jumps on board with us and, and helps us break down week three. And at the bottom of the hour, well, we just BS about all sports with Mo from the BS Sports Show. So I'll tell you one thing. You don't want to go anywhere because it's about to get good right here on the Balance Radio Network. family of five to the amusement park can cost a small fortune. Oh, yeah. So to save some money, we thought, hey, let's bring the amusement park to us. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Uh, step right up. Step right up, young man. Are you ready to ride the Wacky Waterfall? That's just the bathtub with the shower head running. Nope. It's the Wacky Waterfall. It's the shower, Dad. Waterfall. Wacky. There's an easier way to save. To get a free rate quote, go to Geico.com. Then buy online, over the phone, or at your local Geico office. 
Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop in today and check out store-wide savings, plus earn double points on over 225 items. It's our way of saying thank you. If you're not already a member, sign up today during O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month. It's fast, easy, and free. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Yeah. You know what that means. Let's get it. And now back to your host, Tom Marquis, on the Balance Online with his special Super Bowl X. And welcome back to the balance. Let's get things started. We've got us an IndyCar champion helping us break down the 2017 IndyCar season. Is our official IndyCar contributor, Mr. Matthew Embry of Popular Speed. Matthew, how is you, sir? Crazy how these things work out, huh, Tom? I tell you what, uh, Joseph <laughs> Newgarden, a deserving champion. Domination of uh, championship weekend by Team Penske. And looking ahead with a brand-new car going online in 2018 with a new aero kit, uh, it's going to be hard to see a scenario where, even with only a three-car entry potentially, that Team Penske will not be the favorite. And it's a good chance that, yet again, you may see one of their drivers, if not New Garden. Good chance Simon Pagano or Will Power claims the title in 2018. Well, absolutely, and I think Pinsky's got to like the direction that IndyCar is definitely uh, definitely heading. Let's kind of break down the season. What brought us to Joseph Newgarden? Obviously, what a great, great accomplishment for Joseph Newgarden. He's been a fun kid to, to watch come up through the Indy Light Series, obviously uh, uh, cutting his teeth over at Ed Carpenter and Sarah Fisher, uh, and then getting his big break this year over at uh, Pinsky uh, and, and picks up a championship. But talk with us a little bit and recap the 2017 season for us as a whole and what brought us to Joseph Newgarden as the champion in 2017. Well, I'd say the key run for Newgarden has to be the run he had from Toronto through Gateway. Uh, he won three of those four races, Toronto, Mid-Ohio, Gateway, finished second at Pocono. Through the clunker in Watkins Glen, uh, if not for that, I think it would have been a much easier time for him at Snow, but still... Uh, managed to finish second last Sunday, enough to hold off Simon Pagano, who won the race by 13 points. Uh, you take a look at uh, those uh, scenarios. That's similar to the uh, surge that Simon Pagano had to start last season when he won the championship. So uh, when you have situations like that, and even decent results aren't going to be able to match it. So, I mean, you look at 
the case like for Pagano, a lot of top fives for him, but just not enough wins. He only won twice this year. Uh, Scott Dixon had a consistent year, but between Iowa and Pocono, he had finishes of eighth or worse in all four of those events, while Newgarden gained significant ground on him. And then Elio uh, had multiple chances on the front row, but uh, couldn't turn him into victories, all but one race at Iowa. So, I mean, there were missed opportunities across the board, and that's how we have a situation where uh, Joseph Newgarden took advantage of those opportunities, and he is a deserving champion uh, for this season. And uh, hard to believe he is the first Penske driver since Allister Jr. in 1994 to win with Team Penske a championship in his very first season. Well, I tell you what, it is exciting for Penske. Man, let's talk a little bit deeper about Penske. Uh, uh, obviously, Penske has decided to uh, uh, reduce his car load, if you will, for the 20, uh, 2018 season. We know what that means for Elio Castanevis. Elio Castanevis is guaranteed a ride in the Indianapolis 500 as he will field more cars in the Indianapolis 500. Elio Castanevis appears to be moving over to the sports car series. Uh, we saw him doing some testing in ARCA. Uh, do you think, uh, maybe you don't think so, a lot of people may think so, and maybe Elio, even Elio Castanevis may think so, but is this a slap in the face of Elio Castanevis? Is Pinsky putting Elio Castanevis out to pasture and making ways for new young drivers like Joseph Newgarden? Well, if there was a situation which he was kicking him to the curve, they would have signed a fourth driver already for 2018, but they're not doing that. I think right now, Elio, uh, the opportunities they let squander when he had multiple chances to do damage this year in the front row, I think, really led to this point. And let's face it, up until the Iowa win, I think he had gone like three seasons without a victory. And with a team like Team Penske, where you're expected to win, excuses are not tolerated, that's unacceptable. Now, granted, Elio has had some great bows for the team. He's won three Indianapolis 500s. But the fact of the matter is, the situation right now is you need to provide results, especially when guys like Pagano Power and New Garden are providing them. I think that's what caught out Montoya when he eventually lost his ride last year. And it's going to catch out. It's caught out, I think, Elio this year, is when you drive for a team like this, you need to have a solid return. And while, yes, it's been a solid year for Elio, it just has not looked as impressive as compared to Joseph Dugarden or Simon Pagano, and I'd say if not for some bad luck, Will Power also may have exceeded as well. So Elio Castanevis obviously is a great, great driver, uh, certainly a fan favorite, uh, certainly one of, one of the, the, the greatest uh, drivers that Indy, Indianapolis Motor Speedway has ever seen. Why can't a driver like that pull off a championship? Well, the thing is, the majority of where he does his damage, Tom, is on ovals. And right now, the current championship, uh, unless I've been on another planet, is dominated by road courses and street circuits. Uh, For instance, you look at the 2018 schedule, 10 of those races, at least 10 of those races, are on road courses. Uh, I only see... Six of them, well, actually it would be 12 and 6. I only see six events next year on ovals. 
So, I mean, that's why, for instance, say a J.R. Hildebrand is out of a ride at ECR. He could get the job done on ovals, but he couldn't get the job done on road courses. You have to be, and I'm, I think Chris Pook, uh, the former uh, head of the Long Beach Grand Prix and of Champ Car, the former Champ Car World Series, said it best. To win a championship in a series like this, you have to be a very, very good driver and a very, very versatile driver. And if you just get the job done on just one type of circuit, uh, you're not going to be able to get the job done for the championship. I think that's also be part of the reason why Tony Kanaan lost his ride at Ganassi. Solid on the ovals, but not competitive enough on the road courses. And I think that's a lot of turnover. I think teams are looking for the driver that is a complete driver that could do damage on the short ovals could do damage on a super speedway like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and then get the job done on a road or street circuit. And it's tough to find that nowadays. And with, you know, the competitive and demand as far as seats go, you have to provide it. And that's why I think this offseason, for instance, we're seeing so much turnover with seats is because there's been a lot of drivers that were expected to provide a lot this year for multiple organizations, and they have not come through with it. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, recapping the 2017 uh, IndyCar series. As we know, Joseph Newgarden is the champion, very well deserving. Uh, certainly, a lot of scenarios uh, could have played uh, played that part. But you know, you look at. Uh, the winner of the race at Simona, and you look at Joseph Newgarden, Joseph Newgarden really kind of played the, hey, I've got this uh, championship in the bag. I don't need to push for a win, although he wanted to. Well, the thing is right now, as long as he stayed second, I think that was the key thing right now. I think his biggest concern wasn't Pagino, it was staying ahead of Will Power, and I think that was the key thing because if he had dropped one more place, uh, Pagino would have had enough points to overtake him. Uh, very aggressive strategy by Pagano's team strategist Kyle Boyer to go with the four-stop strategy, but he had the pace to overcome that and win easily. Uh, I think based on the performances we saw there, I think you'll see Pagano be a threat once again to be a potential champion in 2018. Uh, the thing is, though, I think with Pagano is he needs to do a little more damage on the ovals. Uh, he did make some improvements this past year, uh, the run at Phoenix, for instance, but I still think he needs to do a little bit better on ovals uh, if he's going to challenge uh, Joseph Duegarden, especially if Petsky is much better on the ovals. Because remember, they were out to Lutz this year at the Indianapolis 500. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming or the off season or the funny season, whatever you want to call it. Let's talk a little bit about the focus and passion of Richard Jukos. I tell you, uh, Jukos, I apologize, I'm, I'm saying that name wrong, but certainly he wants to have a bigger role and wants to have a full-time team in IndyCar coming in 2018. Is that possible for him to have a full-time two-car uh, uh, team in 2018 with Junko's Racing? We actually could have two of them, Tom. I think we have uh, Junko's Racing. Uh, obviously, he's going to have at least one car with Kyle Junkos, Kaiser claiming okay. the scholarship money for the, winning the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tire Championship. So that million dollars is going to guarantee him at least three races, if not a full season. You've got a handful of drivers that are looking for rides right now. Carlos Budios is looking very, very iffy as far as finding a ride for 2018 at this point. Um, you have Sebastian Saavedra out there, and then a few other possible options. And then, obviously, you have the, the new organization being formed by Trevor Carlin and uh, McLaren team manager Zach Brown. That's probably going to feature uh, Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball. So 
There's going to be a lot of new teams this year and a lot of new players, which is always a good thing. But it has led to some downsizing among the top teams. We talk about Penske now running only three cars. Uh, Chip Ganassi, for instance, has dropped his organization from four all the way down to two for 2018. So uh, what what we know and what we've what we've seen and what's what's going on here so far, it looks like Spencer Piggott uh, will drive full time for Ed Carpenter Racing in 2018. True. Yep. Okay, so what are your thoughts on Spencer Piggott uh, driving full-time with Ed Carpenter? Needs a lot of luck and also needs experience on ovals. He only had one oval start and was with the Yunkos team, I think, like you said, that still is pretty raw at this point. So I think the question is, is how competitive is he going to be on ovals? Obviously, ECR, from what we've seen, particularly at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, is very, very fast on ovals, even with the Chevrolet engine, which seems to have you know, a little bit of a downside compared to the Hondas at this point, at least the last two seasons, if you go by evidence based on that. But uh, I think you could expect to see Piggott do something good. And obviously, uh, Ed Carpenter, if he can run a third car for the Indy 500, you know who's going to call for that third car. It's obviously going to have to be Hildebrand. So uh, you still have a chances for some good stuff with them. Uh, I think one of the interesting stories is, is who's going to get that second Gadassi seat? Is it going to go to... Uh, Brendan Hartley, or is it going to go to Esteban Gutierrez? You've got a Brendan Hartley who is without a ride. Porsche just announced that they have discontinued or are going to discontinue their prototype program for the FIA World Endurance Championship. So right now Hartley does not have a ride for 2018. And then you have uh, Esteban Gutierrez who had lost his ride with Haas in F1, and he's backed by the Mexican telecommunications billionaire Carlos Slim. So I'll be very curious to see who uh, Scott Dixon's new teammate is for 2018 at Ganassi. Speaking of Scott Dixon, uh, Scott Dixon claims Elio Castaneves blocked uh, him during the Simona uh, championship race, which uh, could have changed the outcome of the championship. Thoughts? I don't think so. I've, I've seen the video that he claimed in there. That was just a normal racing incident. I don't think there was anything blocking tied to it. I know Elio's had a bad reputation over the years for being over-defensive, but I looked at that, and uh, I really don't buy the fact. The fact of the matter is Ganassi just got outclassed at Sonoma. It's nothing to say that there was blocking going on or anything like that. I mean, Scott Dixon was struggling just to hold off Graham Rahal late in the race, so I think that's what does that tell you. I don't think it says that. He had a car capable of winning the race of the championship uh, on Sunday. And uh, I think it's just uh, trying to lay the excuse off. But let's face it, Scott's had a tough year. I mean, he had disappointment at the Indianapolis 500, uh, had the incident that happened uh, the day or the night after he won the pole position. So uh, maybe just letting up a little steam, I don't know. But uh, to put the blame on Castro Cassidavis for, not winning the champ- for him not winning the championship, I think is way too far-fetched. So, to Indy 500 winner Tomoka Soto makes a switch to Ray Hall Letterman uh, Racing. Um, it seems like uh, Soto is chasing some sort of a ghost with all these these team movements. He was with Foyt, and then you know uh, Pinsky, and uh, now he's going over to Letterman. What, what's going on there? Well, he's gone full circle. He started with Ray Hall in 2012, went to Foyt, then went to Andretti. Now he's with Ray Hall again. Uh, sorry, this is Andretti, a situation where Honda is going to provide extra support to Ray Hall so now they can run two cars. 
Uh, there's even been talk of maybe even running a third car part-time for Zachary Clement de Mayo. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this organization. But uh, yet another team, I think, that needs to improve their oval track performance. And who knows, maybe Sato is the guy that gives them that, considering he came so close to winning the 500 for them in 2012. So uh, you look at another team that needs to improve their oval track uh, package. Uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan certainly is one of those, whether it's a two or maybe even a three-car team for 2018. So, you know, here's the thing. I think all of this is linked together. Uh, NBC sees an increase in their ratings uh, for a coverage of IndyCar. We get an American driver as a champion. Uh, so that I think that speaks good and shows a good direction uh, for IndyCar. I think that, that you've you got to be positive about IndyCar. But then you look on the other side of it, and you look at teams like Penske uh, scaling back. Now we hear that Chip Canassi is scaling back. Obviously, we know for a fact that that has the root cause of that is money and sponsorship. Uh, so you, on, on one hand, you see an increase in fan base. You see an increase in, in television rating. You get an American champion. That's big. But on the other hand, big teams can't seem to get sponsorships. What's going on? Well, that's the thing. The sponsors want to back the teams that want to win or have a chance to win. It's always been that way. I mean, Roger Petsky's saying that there are organizations that haven't even been tied to IndyCar, some that have been, not been tied for several years that want to get back into the game, which is always a good sign. And the key thing is it's expanding the grid. I mean, we had 21 cars, I think, for most races in this season. We could have as many as 23 to 24 next year. So always a good thing when the grid is expanding and more interest is coming in. Now I think the big thing is they need to find a national TV partner because the interest that ESPN has is seeming to wane just a little bit. I don't know if you maybe see or have Mark Miles push NBC has said to start moving some of those events to NBC improper. Um, but they need to find a national TV uh, backer, I think, if they really want to start to really increase the ratings even more. Because right now, eventually... With them on NBCSN, eventually you're going to hit a roadblock as far as being able to increase those ratings at some point. Well, finally, and then I want to talk a little Notre Dame with you, but finally let's, uh, you know, uh, kill the elephant in the room, if you will. McLaren engine switches, switch in F1 means no Fernando Alonso full-time in IndyCar. One, uh, I think a lot of fans would have loved to see him in IndyCar, but it looks like he's going to stay in Formula One. Uh, and two... Do we do we see him again in the Indianapolis 500? I think we could. I really think we could. If it's not with Andretti, it's going to be with somebody because that kind of name drew attention. I mean, heck, it put us into the photo pit uh, for media credentials and stuff like that. So it's always a good thing right now. I mean, there's still possibilities. Andretti could still run six cars again, as he did last year. I mean, Schmidt-Peterson possibly has a seat. Maybe even the Ray Hall third seat uh, may go to Alonzo Ferrandi. So uh, there's options out there for him right now. It's just uh, whether or not he had, uh, his manager, Zach Brown, wanted to side the dotted line to give it another go and pass on the Monaco Grand Prix once again. Now, I know uh, you, uh, co- uh, in, in, your, in your other life as, as well, you uh, cover a lot of Notre Dame football, and uh, you're up in that neck of woods. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity, because normally we talk about college football in our Breaking Ranks segment later on in the show, but I know that you do a lot of coverage of uh, Notre Dame. And uh, so uh, what grade would you put on Notre Dame uh, this year? And, and head coach Brian Kelly seems to be on a slippery slope. 
I'd say a C right now. Yes, they had great performance against Temple and Boston College, but those are two teams that elsewhere have not been impressed at all this year. So the key game right now, you look back, is Georgia. Uh, they could not run the ball. Uh, they had trouble protecting Brandon Wimbush. And then the Boston College game, I think because of that, you saw Wimbush showing no confidence in having time to throw, uh, no confidence in his offensive line, and that led to a lot of overthrown passes. And those are the type of passes I think this – at least tonight against Michigan State, that could get intercepted and cause turnovers. So I really don't know what to expect coming into tonight in East Lansing, but if they cannot get the passing game in their offensive line to produce better results for them, uh, they're going to have a very hard time, I think, beating the Spartans tonight. Yeah, like you said, I'll tell you what, Michigan State's a tough team. Spartan Stadium out in East uh, Lansing. Michigan State comes in at 2-0, and and Notre Dame obviously at 2-1. Two and, two and one. Uh, So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so what, what, what do you think are the keys to the game tonight, and uh, uh, who comes out uh, on top tonight? And then we uh, will uh, put a bow on it and call it a day. Well, for Notre Dame, they got to get Josh Adams involved. I'd say also they need to find a way to get just Dexter Williams involved. I don't think you're going to see much from Tony Jones Jr. He's out, it looks like, with an ankle injury. So it looks like the travel red, the running backs, is going to be down to just two. Line play's got to do well. they got to create holes for Josh Adams. they got to create opportunities for Brandon Wimbush, not only to run but also to pass. And then someone besides Equinegative State Brown has to break through as far as a wide receiver. I mean, it could be the tight end, uh, Alizé Mack. It could be Durham Smythe, the other tight end. And then you have a plethora of wide receivers out there, uh, Cam Smith, Chase Claypool, Chris Finke. I think one of those guys has to break through because you know Michigan State is going to be double-teaming EQ, Equinemia St. Brown, the entire game. So someone else has got to find a way to become a threat so that becomes single coverage and then EQ can do his job. And then defensively for Notre Dame, I think the big thing is you got a dual threat quarterback and Brian LaWork that could run like crazy. I think that's a big possibility right now that he could do some damage for you. But I think ultimately it's going to come down to can Notre Dame put points on the board in a raucous environment, which I've been to Spartan State before. It is a very loud building. And if you can't get the job done early, uh, it could be a very long night. I'd say right now, though, I just don't see how it happens. And I have uh, Michigan State winning this game tonight, uh, 35-21 to 21 at this point. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor and uh, Notre Dame uh, opinion giver. <laughs> um, uh, Matt, uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, as I mentioned uh, to you as well, uh, there is we have split up operations. A popular speed and popular open wheel uh, have split operations once again. Popularopenwheel.com is back up, so all my handiwork will be on that side as opposed to popular speed. So just remember popularopenwheel.com, and then our Twitter information M A T T E M B U R Y, and for popular open wheel, our Twitter page is Open Wheel Now. All right, Matt, you have yourself a, a good week, and uh, we'll be catching up with you soon to, to catch up on IndyCar and, and F1 racing. Anytime, Tom. 
Matt Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, puts a recap on the IndyCar season. Joseph Newgarden, obviously the champion, talking with us a little bit about what's going on in the offseason and the silly season. But coming up next, Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com joins us. We're going to be talking some NASCAR. Uh, They're up in New Hampshire racing for the Big Lobster, and we'll probably get his thoughts on the IndyCar championship as well. My name's Tom Mark with El Presidente. Stick around. It's getting good. It's O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop in today and check out store-wide savings, plus earn double points on over 225 items. It's our way of saying thank you. If you're not already a member, sign up today during O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month. It's fast, easy, and free. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Yeah, you know what that means. Let's get it. And now back to your host. Welcome back to the Balance Half Hour in the Books. Thanks to Matthew Embry, uh, 
popular speed uh, joins us. Our official IndyCar contributor joins us and talks. To, uh, put a recap on the 2017 IndyCar uh, series, obviously ending with a championship for Joseph Newgarden of Penske Racing. And as we talked a little bit with him, uh, Penske scaling back the cars. That's going to push Elio Castaneves over to the sports car uh, series as well. But joining us now, Tyson on pitroad.com. Going to be talking some NASCAR with us. The boys are up in New Hampshire racing for the Big Lobster. But Tyson, uh, how is you, sir? I'm doing well. And yourself? Fantastic. It's the second day of fall, and it's the second day in a row that it's 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah. So some we're, we're facing the same stuff up here. Yeah, summer, summer's in a little bit of overtime, that's for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the IndyCar. Get your thoughts on IndyCar 2017, uh, kind of the off-season and funny season, if you will, and thoughts. Uh, Joseph Newgarden uh, ran a good race, and uh, obviously he knew exactly where he needed to stay at to win that championship, but fantastic for him. I'll tell you what, he's been fun to watch come up through the ranks, and, and certainly it, with his very first year with Penske, really turns it on, and we see an American uh, driver, uh, nothing against the other countries, but hey, uh, we, we'd like to see an American driver win a championship. Uh, but uh, as we know, there's a lot of changes going on in this offseason, our funny season as well. So uh, talk with us about your thoughts of the 2017 IndyCar Series, as well as uh, the championship with Joseph Newgarden. Well, I remember uh, you and I talking closer to the beginning of the year, and and I think we both kind of had a similar opinion of we thought Newgarden would struggle a little bit yep. in his first season, and there there is definitely egg on our face now because he went out there and yep. ran a, a really strong season and won the championship in his first year with Penske. I thought he was going to have a year similar to Simon Pagano's first season with Team Penske, where it was just kind of okay. He was getting his feet wet, and then the second year he came out and ran really well and won the championship. Newgarden, I don't know, maybe it's because he's younger, maybe it's he's just extremely talented, went out there, won the championship right away, and he's cemented himself as a, a future star of IndyCar. You know, Joseph Newgarden is a, is a prime example of someone that, when they were young, knew exactly what they wanted to do and did exactly what they needed to do to get exactly what they wanted. And, you know, uh, Joseph Newgarden has told the story about his father, you know, uh, funding their his his young years uh, out of his own pocket and, uh, you know, uh, getting him a go-kart and getting him to races and getting him into – and uh, he, he uh, told uh, a story about – he said, I told my father – that I am going to be an IndyCar champion at the age of nine years old. Uh, so a remarkable, remarkable story and uh, uh, his path to success. And, again, uh, we started really watching him on the, the big, bigger scale through the Indy Lights. And then, obviously, uh, as he cut his teeth with Ed, Ed Carpenter and Sarah Fisher, who really gave him that, that opportunity to break into IndyCar. And, of course, now, and we know the rest of the story, Penske uh, signed him for a great deal. So, you know, hats off to Joseph Newgarden. But, you know, we look at some other uh, scenarios. And I ask, uh, I ask Matt the same thing here. You know, Scott Dixon kind of uh, alluded to or hinted to that he was blocked by Elio Castaneves which could have changed the results of the championship. I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to that theory, but certainly he's entitled to his opinion. Your thoughts? Yeah, I wouldn't say I subscribe to that theory either. Um, Dixon, just the, the Ganassi camp, they were off 
all day, all weekend at, at Sonoma. And Team Penske just, they had everything put together. If you look at the top five finishing positions, you know, Penske, one, two, three, five. You know, Dixon ended up uh, jumping Castroneves at the end. But, I mean, really, Dixon just did not have the speed all weekend. He kind of ran between sixth and seventh throughout uh, practice and qualifying. And most of the race and was able to, to make a few, move, a few moves forward at the end of the day. But it just it wasn't going to be uh, close enough to put him anywhere near Newgarden. So, I mean, even if Castroneves did block, which I don't think he did, um, I don't think Dixon was going to be able to get there anyway. You know, I think people just want, want to grab on to whatever straws they can. And, you know, it, it's, I'm sure it was a big disappointment to Scott Dixon. As Well, you, heck, you and I picked him to, to win the championship uh, uh, last week. So I'm sure it was a big disappointment for him. And maybe he thought, well, this was, could be the only thing that could have kept me. A lot of times people are so convinced of, the, of themselves, which is a good place to be in. You want to be confident in yourself. But that on, the, on the other hand, they sometimes get so confident in themselves, they have blinders on and think that, that it couldn't possibly be me. It couldn't possibly be anything that I did or anything that my team did. It could not possibly be. So it has to be something else. And this is the only thing that I can figure out. And so let's let's just say that it was Elio Castaneda's fault, as opposed to just saying, "Hey, you know, I just I didn't do what I needed to do to be a champion this year." And you know, the, it, it is what it is. You know, any other thoughts on the uh, 2017 uh, series? Uh, anything going on in the off season that catches your eye? Well, I think we have a lot of uh, open seats right now, and a lot of people that are trying to maneuver their way into these open seats. Uh, we see Elio is probably on his way out of IndyCar. Uh, Tony Kanaan is out of his out of his ride at uh, Ganassi, which we've known for a few weeks now, but it seems like he's probably, I, I believe he has either been signed or very strongly linked to uh, AJ Foyt Racing to take at least one of those two mm-hmm. seats, which both of uh, which are open. Um if I had to guess right now, it's going to be Kanan and, and Connor Daly saying put it at Foyt and Carlos Munoz is kind of uh, going to be looking for something. Uh, then we had the, the new teams where it sounds like uh, Carlin Racing wants to come in with two cars. It's probably going to be Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball. And um, we've got Yungos wants to field the team uh, full-time, which I'm not sure if you're going to be able to put anything together for a full-time deal, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see. And I, I also think uh, the Harding Racing Group, which fielded um, uh, Gabby Chavez rather uh, earlier this season in the Indy 500 and a couple of the other oval races, they've been looking at getting into a full-time program as well, and they would like to ideally uh, field two cars. So, uh, and Schmidt-Peterson still has one of its cars open. So, so many seats that are, are left open for IndyCar this, uh, for next year, and I think it's going to make for a really interesting offseason because there's going to be a lot of uh, new faces and new places. Well, NASCAR is up in New Hampshire, close to the Canadian border, if you will, uh, racing for the big uh, big lobster this this weekend uh, tomorrow at when the ISM Connect uh, 300. Uh, but uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, obviously uh, we, uh, the Xfinity is in um, Kentucky today uh, down down there in in Kentucky as well and. Uh, 
the truck series is today in New Hampshire as well. I just want to make sure I got this. So let's talk a little bit about the truck series, and then we'll bounce over to the Xfinity series, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, the Monster Energy NASCAR uh, Championship Series. So uh, the uh, the Uno is, is it Uno uh, 175. I don't know really how to pronounce that sponsor. I apologize, but it's U N O H. However you say that at New Hampshire Motor Speedway uh, with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Yeah, it's the, uh, the the University of Ohio. Um, oh, okay. Uh, not I, not uh, University of Ohio, <laughs> but like the technic technological school or whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, the truck series in New Hampshire, and they, uh, um, much like the Xfinity series, have their first race in the playoffs uh, this weekend. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which drivers are going to propel themselves to the final four once we get to Homestead. I think right now we've got. Christopher Bell, probably the favorite for the championship. But the thing with the truck series, it's so competitive. There are so few spots in the playoffs to begin with that these are, um, this is probably going to be easily the most competitive and, and most interesting playoff race to watch in the top three series. Because I think all eight drivers uh, in the playoffs right now have a legitimate shot at the championship, which you can't really say for any of the other two series. Um, so it's going to be a real fight to the end. Uh, there are a few playoff drivers who have been really fast so far in practice sessions at New Hampshire. Uh, Todd Gilliland, who is uh, a lot of people know, he's only 16 years old, racing on the, the tracks a mile and under. He was really quick in practice driving for Kyle Busch. Noah Gregson, uh, his teammate also really quick. Um, so, well, you have the guys like Chris Bell, Matt Kraft, and Johnny Sauter that are fighting for a championship. There are a few drivers who are just trying to fight to get their first win, uh, which should make for uh, an interesting race today. Well, we also talk about uh, uh, the Xfinity race being down in Kentucky. Kentucky's a fast track. Uh, it's a, bi a big track, if you will, and a lot at stand, if you will, uh, uh, at 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 stake, I should say, uh, for the Xfinity Series. William Bryan, uh, in the number number one in standings, is a rookie. Uh, and also, you also have Daniel Hemrick, another rookie, uh, racing today in uh, Kentucky. Thoughts on the Xfinity race? Well, when we get to Kentucky for this race every year, you know, we have uh, a lack of cup drivers in the field because of um, – the, the, the Cup Series being in New Hampshire, and this, uh, this year because of the new playoff rules, we have no Cup drivers at all, um, which should make, uh, for again, a, a good show, just being able to see these drivers who are trying to make a career and move up the ladder in NASCAR. They're going to be you know showcased out front going for the win, and I think there's probably a pretty good chance we, we could see a first-time winner this weekend, but you'll have guys like Elliot Sadler and William Byron uh, the rookie, as you said, who has won three times on the year already, they're going to try to spoil that because if you win, you're locked in the next round of the playoffs. It's always important to be able to do that. Uh, it's not going to be as competitive as a playoff situation. It's 12 drivers uh, vying for the eight spots in the next round. And, and, you know, there are a few drivers in the playoffs, maybe Brendan Gaughan, Ryan Reed, Michael Annette, Jeremy Clements, that probably won't be all that competitive throughout uh, the entire playoffs. So I think this first few weeks for people is going to be about, about minimizing mistakes because as long as you're a, a title contender, somebody in a top ride, Matt Tiff, Sadler, Byron, uh, these guys, as long as you're not making 
an abundance of mistakes, you should be able to easily boost yourself into the to uh, the second round of the playoffs. Um, so I think we'll see probably the same guys up front that will be contending for the win. But you've also got uh, a few guys trying to play spoiler that run part-time. Ryan Priest, uh, who we saw win earlier this season in only his second start for Joe Gibbs Racing. He's making his third start of the season. And he could easily get back in victory lane. And his teammate, Kyle Benjamin, has also shown quite a bit of speed. Well, i tell you what. We talked about Joseph Newgarden making it through the ranks. There's a, a couple young drivers that I've been watching over the last few years, Ryan Reed being one of them. Ryan, actually, uh, when he won in Daytona, I think it was his first race at Daytona, I should say, uh, and he was actually on our show that day. But I've been following Ryan Reed for a good number of years. I think, really, uh, and, and I, I haven't seen anything formal in writing. It's just my thought. It's just a buzz uh, that you hear, or rumors and rumblings around that you hear. But my thought is that Ryan Reed is going to have an opportunity to race full-time in the Monster Energy Cup Series very, very soon. I wouldn't be surprised if he does. However, I don't think it'll be next year. I think um, Roche Fenway, which I think he'll stay with Roche, uh, they're still needing to figure some things out with their program. We've seen them get a little bit better in cup with uh, uh, Ricky Stenhouse winning a couple of races this year. However, again, they were both on the uh, restrictor plate races, so they still need to figure out um, their program for the entire year and the intermediates and whatnot. But I think uh, Ryan Reed, if he can, you know, maybe he's got to find a little bit more speed. He's um, he's the type of driver who tends to run closer to the back half of the top 10, top 15. But he's in good quality equipment in the Xfinity Series. He should be running a little bit better than he does, uh, aside from those restrictor plate races. So I think if he can find a little bit more speed within the next year, He's got the sponsorship. He could definitely move up to the Cup Series within the next year or two. A couple other drivers who uh, are beginning to make their name or beginning to get noticed. I wanted to get your thoughts on Brendan Gaughan and Dakota Armstrong. Dakota Armstrong, I think, is a very very underrated driver. A lot of people uh, don't look at him as someone who's extremely talented, but he's he's running in – lower equipment this year than he normally has uh, in his first few years in Xfinity. He ran uh, uh, a little bit for RCR, just a couple races here and there, and then he ran for Richard Petty Motorsports, which they weren't a great team, but they did have uh, slightly better equipment than than the team he runs for now, JGL Racing. And I think this has been his best year in Xfinity. He's run uh, inside the the top ten a few times. I think he uh, had a top five run at at Iowa, which was pretty incredible for, for that small team. Um, I think he's a very talented driver, but um, not a lot of people see it. If he can, uh, if that team gets a little bit better equipment or he's got the sponsorship, so if he can find himself uh, a way to get to a bigger team, you know, he could put himself in position in, in talks to uh, move up to Cup someday, but I don't think it'll be happening anytime soon. Uh, as for Brendan Gaughan, he's getting um, – He's been running full-time in the Xfinity Series the past few years, but he is on the older side. I know I, I don't think he ever plans on, on doing full-time cup again, which he, he did in the past. But uh, Brennan Gaughan is just one of those guys that the fans really like because he's a high-energy high energy personality, uh, really funny guy. Um, 
I hope he's there's talks. He, he he doesn't know what his plans are for next year yet. I would hope he he stays in the series because I think he's a good uh, driver for the fans. Oh, absolutely. Brendan Gunn is a, is a good fan favorite, and you know also Dakota Armstrong. I like him. I'm actually a personal fan of his. He's from Newcastle, which is about 45 minutes east of Indianapolis. Here, uh, he's been on our show before, and I just remember you know going to a lot of the local racetracks here in town. You know, several years ago, as he's growing up through the races, and you know certainly there's a there's a, a small go kart track there in in uh, uh, Newcastle that he raced in. Uh, he's from Indiana. He's got a lot of who's your roots i've had an opportunity to meet and interact with dakota several times and so it couldn't happen to a nicer guy with with him either so i'm on a, on a personal level i'm actually really really rooting uh, for dakota and it's always good to see him uh do well it's, it's always good to see uh kids that you've had an opportunity to meet and interact with uh and, and get to know on a personal level excel at that that next level you know so it's, i'm really uh rooting for him let's uh talk a little bit about what's going on in new hampshire racing um uh, uh, racing for that big, huge lobster. To me, that's the best. Next to the six shooters in Texas, that's the best trophy that you can get in NASCAR. Well, if you ask Denny Hamlin, he might disagree because he he won at New Hampshire earlier this year, and apparently he's got a bit of a fear of lobsters. So, you know, I'm sure <laughs> he wants to win on the weekend, but he probably doesn't want to get that lobster trophy again. You know, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the drivers to look for. You know, Martin Truex Jr., you can never shut the door on him. I've, I, he kind of just, like, been there, and then all of a sudden he was, boom, here I am. I've made my appearance in NASCAR. And he, he's, he's really, uh, you know, competed. He's, he's, he's in the playoff. Obviously, he's leader in the, stand, uh, leader in the uh, uh, standings as well. You look at Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Brad Koloski, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, uh, Ryan Blaney, Jamie McMurray, all in the playoffs. It's about to get good. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Tricks before. And his when he uh, ends his career, which isn't for quite a few years, I, I don't think, uh, his, his career arc is going to look so strange because he goes uh, the first few years of his career winning basically nothing. And it took him, he went through a five- or six-year winless streak before he won a race with Michael Walser Racing then didn't win anything for a few few years, and then joined uh, Furniture Row Racing, and, you know, it's just win after win after win after win. Uh, Truex says this team being with Furniture Row and, and having a crew chief like Cole Pern, who I don't think gets enough credit for what he does, uh, I think has really um, accelerated his career, and he's, he's showing that he belongs in the Cup Series, and he's, you know, putting himself forward as a potential champion this year I think Truex is going to be uh, one of the guys to beat this weekend, as he always is. But right now, I think Kyle Busch probably has the fastest car in New Hampshire, um, which shouldn't be a surprise. He won the pole for yesterday's race, his eighth pole of the season. Uh, Probably had the fastest car last week at Chicagoland before uh, several pit road miscues um, basically ended his chances. And that's something you can't have happen in the playoffs. Uh, he had a bit of a buffer going in, so he's still in the, the, the top 12 in points. But you can't be having these mistakes happen, especially when you're, you know, the best car and you're going for a win. It's just uh, Joe Gibbs racing, they changed the pit crews around before last week's race in hopes of giving Kyle Busch a better chance to go out there and, and compete for the win and, and get that team a championship. And the pit crew 
just made so many mistakes over the weekend. It just it, it doesn't, you know, fare well for that team. I think they'll probably get things put back together this weekend, but you just can't be making those mistakes in the playoffs, even though it is early. We're talking with Tyson from onpitroad.com. We're talking about New Hampshire in, in, in NASCAR. How, how important is it that uh, Ryan Blaney have a strong finish in New Hampshire this year? It is very important because right now I think he finds himself 10th or 11th in the playoffs. And before uh, the playoffs began leading into it, they had had quite a few weekends of rough races. Had they not had that win at, at Pocono, they would not be in the playoffs. They, uh, they would have gone to Richmond needing a win, and they didn't perform at Richmond either. Um, they started to have a better weekend last uh, weekend. I think they finished 11th, and it's got them 10th or 11th on the playoff grid right now. Qualified fourth for the race this weekend. They've shown speed, and this is kind of a track that, that favors Ryan's driving style. So if they can have a good run up front, stay in that top five or ten, it should put them in good enough position to at least uh, make the next round of the playoffs. They'll have to get through Dover, but I think that's also a good track for, for Blaney and the Wood Brothers. And he said multiple times that if he can get through round one, he feels really good about round two of the playoffs because we go to a track like Kansas where he uh, dominated the race earlier in the season uh, led over 100 laps in that race, if I remember correctly. Talladega, that team always runs well on the restrictor plate tracks. He enjoys running uh, the plate tracks. And then we'll go to uh, Charlotte, another mile-and-a-half track that he runs well at. So if, if Laney can just get through this first round, they have a good shot uh, going into the second round. So what are the keys to winning at New Hampshire? I think uh, New Hampshire, this is going to be a very different race than what we've seen in years past because we have uh, the PJ1 substance that NASCAR is putting down on the track that's going to add a level of grip to the track, um, which a lot of teams are kind of concerned about, but also, you know, it's intriguing for for a lot of people, but uh, it'll make for an interesting tire situation throughout the weekend. Uh, for some reason, fuel mileage always seems to come into play throughout this race. And it sometimes works itself out different, especially now that we have the stage racing. But I think fuel mileage is still going to be a big concern for a lot of teams. And if you come from a short track racing background where you, you've raced a lot on the flat tracks, this is a weekend that, that a lot of drivers will be looking forward to because that it, it should fit their driving style. So I think if you can... If you have a good short track racing mentality, you have uh, good fuel mileage, and you can manage your tires, that should uh, help you get through this weekend. Tyson, uh, let's talk a little bit about Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr., obviously in his final year, uh, and he just can't seem to uh, to catch a break. Uh, and he seems like... He's going backwards instead of forward in his final year. I don't think this is really quite the final year that he had hoped for or anticipated. No, I don't think so. They've definitely had um, a lot of bad luck, but along with the bad luck, they just haven't had speed. Um, They haven't performed. This team has just struggled so, so much. And it's, you know, I've never, you know, even growing up, I never really considered myself a junior fan. My whole family was. Um, so I have a little bit of empathy in that situation, and it's 
you want to see a guy like Dale Jr. run up front in his final year, but we're just not seeing it. And a lot of people want to see him get a win in his uh, final year. And I'm going to say now, don't shoot the messenger, but he's not going to get a win. Um, That team needs to make huge turnarounds in these final nine races, which I just don't see happening. Uh, And a lot of people want to blame Greg Ives to crew chief. I don't think you can put all that blame on Greg Ives. Uh, We saw Alex Bowman run really well with Ives last year when, when junior was injured. I think it's just a combination of Hendrick, you know, lacking a lot of speed this year as compared to uh, the Toyotas and even Chip Cassie racing and just junior, maybe, maybe these concussions have really affected his, his driving performance. Maybe his heart's just not in it anymore. Um, so I think that the year that a lot of people wanted to see from Dale Jr. just hasn't happened, and it, it definitely is a disappointment. So rumor has it, or rumblings around, if you will, uh, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports will close down due to lack of sponsorship. Is this a thing? Well, uh, RPM, they're definitely struggling when it comes to sponsorship right now. We're seeing Smithfield, their primary sponsor for the last four or five years, uh, move over to Stuart Haas Racing. However, RPM does still plan uh, to run next year. Um, they they keep saying our plan is to, to keep going next year. However, that means they have to find sponsorship, which maybe some of their um, other current sponsors like STP can step up and help them out. Maybe they'll find new ones. They want to run with uh, Darrell Wallace Jr. next year. He, he replaced Almirola for a bit when he was when Almirola was hurt earlier in the season, and uh, Patty and and the team and and Bubba they all formed a great relationship together, and it, it seemed to be a good pairing. Uh, Bubba ran really well in those races. He even got to run the Xfinity race for the Den Bessie Racing, which is a team partnered with RPM. Uh, last week at Chicago, finished in the top 10. Um, so this team, they want to find the sponsorship uh, to, to run with Bubba next year, but they definitely are lacking in that department right now. And they need to get something figured out by the end of the season, basically, because I think if you get into November and December in the off season, and they don't have a sponsorship deal put together yet, they might have to maybe I'm not saying shut down entirely, but they could have to regroup and, and maybe not race in 2018 and try to figure something out for 2019 because this team is definitely hurting. They've been hurting for a long time now, but the the last two years in particular and, and this year have uh, really hurt this team. We've been talking with Tyson Lardenslager with uh, OnPitRoad.com. You know what? I've probably screwed your last name up a thousand times. I just keep rolling with it, and sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't get it right. Um, who wins Who wins this weekend in New Hampshire? It is so hard to bet against those Toyotas, so I'm not going to bet against them. I'm going to go uh, Denny Hamlin sweeps the New Hampshire race weekends this year, and he's going to have to – Touch another lobster. Who wins between you and Spider-Man, uh, whatever, Rick Riggin, in fantasy football this week? <laughs> um, I'm going to say not me. 
<laughs> well, you're one and one. You're doing you're doing just fine. And uh, so, uh, actually, uh, Rick, the uh, the guy you're playing is uh, in town this week uh, this weekend for a conference. I think we're going to meet for dinner and drinks later on this evening. But uh, uh, and uh, so, yeah. What what are your thoughts on on uh, the fantasy football American style? <laughs> well, it's definitely been interesting. I haven't been. Uh... I don't really know what I'm doing, but it, it seems to be working out for me, so we'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. I don't know if you're an ESPN Insider subscriber. If you are, and if you're not, it's it's really cheap. But if you are, if you hit that little recommends button, it'll tell you, hey, start these player. This will increase your chances of winning. And you know, I, in another league that I'm in, I, I was totally landlocked, and it was like the recommendation was like you only have a three percent chance of winning. <laughs> they were right. I got stomped on in that particular uh, in that p- particular league. Uh, Jason, where can people find your work and your masterpieces? We got to put a uh, wrap it up and put a bow on it. Yeah, of course. You can always go to onpitroad.com, uh, check out the website. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at onpitroad, and then follow me on Twitter at tysonlot23. All right, Tyson, you have yourself a good race weekend, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell Rick uh, this evening when I when I when I meet him that you said that you're going to stomp his ass this weekend in fantasy football. That, that'll maybe that'll All give right. you a little encouragement. <laughs> All right, yeah, buddy, you have yourself a good. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Tyson Lawrence of OnPitRoad.com joins us talking NASCAR uh, up in New Hampshire, racing for that lobster. And if Danny Danny Hamlin wins, he's going to run in fear. Uh, Who's afraid of lobsters anyway? Never heard of such a thing. I'm not afraid of them. Bring them on. Bring them on. Cover them up in butter and bring them to me. My name is Sean Michael, Sal Presidente. I'll be back with Ed Kratz. We're going to be breaking down week three. Is it doom and gloom time? Maybe. We'll talk about it with Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, right here on the Balance Radio Network. I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket. Keep up. So many pretty girls around me and they're waking up the right. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Taking a family of five to the amusement park can cost a small fortune. Oh, yeah. So to save some money, we thought, hey, let's bring the amusement park to us. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Uh, step right up. Step right up, young man. Are you ready to ride the Wacky Waterfall? That's just the bathtub with the shower head running. Nope. It's the Wacky Waterfall. It's the shower, Dad. Waterfall. Wacky. There's an easier way to save. 
To get a free rate quote, go to GEICO.com. Then buy online, over the phone, or at your local GEICO office. It's O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop in today and check out store-wide savings, plus earn double points on over 225 items. It's our way of saying thank you. If you're not already a member, sign up today during O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month. It's fast, easy, and free. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Yeah. You know what that means. Let's get it. And now back to your host, Tom Marquis, on The Balance Online with his special. Welcome back to The Balance, one hour in the books, ladies and gentlemen. It's Saturday morning. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning. If you're a fan of the game, well, you're in the right place. And uh, thanks to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, talking with us a little bit about the 2017 IndyCar season that ended with the champion of Joseph Newgarden, a little of uh, what's going on in the offseason. And we just got done talking with Tyson from OnPitRoad.com. The NASCAR is kind of split up. Xfinity uh, down in uh, Kentucky in the truck and Monster Energy Series up at New Hampshire in the New England, New Hampshire Motor uh, Speedway talk about that it's certainly a lot of implications with playoffs and championship points and stuff going on with nascar but now it's time to get on to week three of the nfl and joining us now is ed kratz our official nfl contributor to the balance how are you sir ed are you with us maybe ed's on mute ed are you with us? hey tom tom can you hear me yeah i can hear you yes you know there's that little yes, yeah, there's that little mute button. You gotta hit it before you talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're starting to rub off on me, Tom. All these mechanical issues. I know. I'm starting I, to have. Uh, yeah, but, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here the same now. Way. And uh, I do. Yeah. I, I do it all the time. I was talking to Rick on the phone yesterday and had the same issue. He goes, "I know you're there, Tom. Take your phone off mute." And I'm like, "Oh shit." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that last word I said. I didn't say that. No, but uh, anyway, so week three, doom and gloom. A lot of people are saying that, you know, a lot of people are saying seasons are over already. Week three, I, we could throw the Colts in, the, in that mix, but the Colts aren't the only uh, team that people are, are talking about doom and gloom in, in week three. Overall, it's just week three, Ed, but a lot of teams have a lot of, a lot of room to be concerned going into week, week three. Absolutely. I mean, there's several 0-2 teams out there, and I think the odds of a team making the playoffs after starting at 0-2 are like 12% or something, but uh, it might be higher. But that's the number I heard. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it can't be done. You're saying there's a chance, right, 12%. Um, and, and so you're saying in Indianapolis. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, and people in Indianapolis can attest to that. Remember back in, I think it was 2014 when – uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts started 0-2, uh, 
Uh, and then they ended up finishing real strong, and they went to the AFC Championship game that year. So uh, it's been done, and people in Indianapolis have seen it happen in 2014. Now, I think, you know, the Colts don't have luck playing, obviously, but I think, you know, you have to be encouraged with uh, what Jacoby Brissett did last week uh, in his first start. He only had arrived just days earlier and kind of got a crash course in the offense. I think that, uh, you know, here he is week two. He's been around the team more. He's been in the playbook more, and uh, you're playing a Browns team that's also Owen. Uh, so this could be a good chance for the Colts to kind of restore some, uh, you know, hope and faith in, in the Indianapolis faithful. Uh, I think they could get a win this week against Cleveland. And uh, I'd be excited about Jacoby Brissett. Clearly when Andrew Luck is ready, which whoever, you know, who, know, who knows when that will be, he'll be the guy. But until then, I think you can win games with Brissett. You may even get, I think, the cornerback uh, back today. Vontez Davis, I think, might uh, be play. I don't know if he's been ruled out or not, but uh, you know that I would certainly be a not, big lift. I think he is not going to be able to play on Sunday. I think I saw that in in the injury report. Although I, I could okay. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah. speaking of the Colts, uh, that's all that the local media people are latched onto, and I don't know if it's it, there's a lot of uh, and, and and I'm not saying that that there isn't reason to, but one of the things that I've noticed of, of people that do what I do, the first thing they want to do is find the most negative thing that they can do, and let's just blow it up, and let's talk about that instead of all the good things that happen. And I don't know if they think that, that gets listeners or if that gets clicks or if that gets retweets, but all they want to talk about is the, the, uh, uh, the roughing the passer uh, penalty, which – by rights, every fan in that stadium had a right to be angry about that particular play. And if people don't believe momentum wins games, well, there's a perfect example. The momentum switched there, and the Indianapolis Colts could never get it back. They iced the kicker. Fantastic. Now you got Jacoby Brissett, who's just inexperienced. Just inexperienced. I think he felt that pressure, and he just felt like he had to get rid of that ball, which caused that interception, which created – the end. But what you, if you were to hear in town, listen to local media, they're like, well, the Colts can't win a game. The Colts don't have uh, any any way to win a game. They have no game plan. Fire Chuck Pagano. You know, let's this let's let's just scratch it, blow it all up, and let's let's go in the rebuild. Luck Lux doesn't want to be here. You got national media, Mike and Mike, tell, uh, telling the world. I've heard no sources. I've heard that uh, Andrew Luck wants to be traded. Couldn't be further from the truth, and it just fuels this negativity toward a, a team and fuels that doom and gloom. What are your thoughts uh, on the way to handle that? I think that there's a lot of positives that came from that game uh, against uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Let's face it, they were in that game three and a half, uh, three and a half quarters, and no, they shouldn't have been in an overtime situation. No, Jacoby Brissett shouldn't have been in that situation to pass that ball in the first place. However, they were much more in that game than they were in the Rams game. So if you look at positive things, they improved from week one to week two. And as you said, I think they have an opportunity to uh, restore faith in the fans and the local media with a win at home this week. Sorry yeah, about my rant there. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I, I certainly agree. You know, people do like to focus on the negative, and I, I'm not sure why that is, but um, as a team, obviously, if you're Chuck Pagano and any coach of these teams that haven't won yet, you, you know, you have to make sure you 
kind of keep the focus inside the building and inside that huddle, so to speak, and not worry about what's going on outside. Everybody uh, inside that locker room knows that there are negative comments being hurled at them. And the trick is not to pay any attention to it and just kind of, you know, keep your chin strap buckled and, and go harder uh, as hard as you can each week. Uh, you know, I, I, there's eight 0-2 teams in, in the league right now, and then there's the 49ers who are 0-3 after losing on, excuse me, Thursday night. And I think if you look at these 0-2 teams, I, I don't think any of them are going to make the playoffs with the exception of maybe the Giants who, you know, if they can figure out a way to score, heck, they were my pick to win the NFC East. And, you know, they just can't put points on the board and they can't protect Eli Manning. But, you know, I'd put the Giants as a possibility of maybe beating the odds here and getting into the playoffs. And then I think the other 0-2 team I would put in there would be would be the Colts, just because I was encouraged by what I saw from Brissett. Yeah, he made mistakes, but if you put it in the context of uh, of what he was up against, you know, coming in, uh, early, you know, like I said, just days before the game and then being put into that starting role. And, uh, you know, I don't think he was given full run of the playbook. And I, and I certainly like his arm. I think he has a pretty strong arm. So I'm a little bit encouraged by what I see from, from Brissett. Now, obviously, there are many holes that the Colts do have, and they have to protect them. Missing their center isn't going to help. Uh, uh, you know, that hurts. Yeah, kill uh, and, and then – yeah, and then defensively, you know, they have some things to shore up. But, uh, you know, if I had to put if I had to put money on which teams I think had a chance of beating the odds, I'd put the Giants first, they're 0-2, and then maybe the Colts second. The Bengals, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, they're buying into Marvin Lewis. You know, the fact that he's still employed there after, you know, so many years of failure, I, I'm not sure how that worked. But, uh, you know, maybe the Bengals can sneak in there. But certainly the other 0-2 teams like, you know, the Jets and the Browns and, uh, you know, they're not going to make it. Maybe the Chargers because they have Phillip Rivers uh, gives them a fighting chance each week. Um, but, you know, I don't think the Bears are going to do anything. The Saints defense is too young. And then the 49ers, I mean, I like what Kyle Shanahan's done with that offense, but they have to find a way to play defense. They invested a lot of draft collateral in their defense. So uh, they need to get, figure out how to get it done defensively. Um, but, you know, I just think that you have to stay positive if you're inside that building. You know, you're professional athletes. You're getting paid a pretty nice chunk of money to go out there and perform and, and put your best foot forward. And, you know, I wouldn't write the Colts off by any means, especially with Jacoby Brissett and, the, you know, maybe that spark that he can provide for this team until uh, Andrew Luck is ready to return, if Andrew Luck is ever ready to return this season. I, I don't know. The whole <laughs> thing's kind of mysterious with the shoulder, but – uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. And I, I would be in the in the Colts corner every weekend if I was a fan and, and, and root for Brissett and for that defense to, to kind of make a statement. I think the AFC South is kind of a, you know, a bit of a wide open uh, division. Uh, you know, the Texans with their quarterback situation, Deshaun Watson didn't exactly light it up in his first start, but he figures to get better. And then, you know, the Titans, uh, you know, they might be the best team, but they haven't proven it yet. And the Jaguars, of course, uh, you know, their their quarterback issues are well documented. So that's kind of a division where if you can get the eight and eight, maybe nine and seven, you might find yourself at the top of the heap. 
We're talking with Ed Kratz, our official uh, contributor to the uh, NFL contributor to the balance. As you know, Rick Riggin normally joins us uh, for Breaking Rank, and this time we're kind of mix up college. Well, we'll be talking college football with Mo at the bottom of the hour from the BS Sports Show. Uh, Rick is actually in town uh, here in Indianapolis at an AMVETS conference. So we AMVETS is bringing our Breaking Rank to us, but it'll happen at the it, in our last half hour there. But uh, Rick is here for an AMVETS conference and. So uh, uh, he wishes that he could be on with us, but uh, we were going to try to get the show together. It was just a little, a lot of logistics that have to happen to do a show live and remotely, and we weren't able to get all that done. So Rick is not here with us, but Ed is, and uh, Rick is going to join me later tonight for uh, steak and drinks and Notre Dame football. So um, we got we got we got that, that like all fun. lined up. Yeah, I got that all lined up. He, we got an Uber lined up for him. So. And he's got a friend that's in the AMVETS that's coming with him. So what could, what could possibly go wrong with three middle-aged guys at a sports bar eating steak and watching Notre Dame football? I have no idea. <laughs> Just saying. We've covered our bases. <laughs> oh, boy, I wish so, I could be there. That sounds like a lot of fun. Man, I tell you what, there, there's planes leaving Philadelphia every single day. Every single hour, it's Indianapolis. You could be here in time. So the invitation's yeah. there for you, buddy. So speaking uh, of Philadelphia, <laughs> speaking of Philadelphia, obviously you guys are, are facing the Giants. And, you know, speaking of doom and gloom, I know you guys have your own doom and gloom. Your secondary is just totally uh, decimated right now. And it looks like uh, you might have some help. Uh, I hear rumors that Malcolm Butler might be headed your way in some sort of a trade. What are your thoughts on that? Have you heard that? Do you know that? And what are what are talk with us about the Eagles and the Giants this week? Well, you mentioned the trade. I they're talking about trading linebacker uh, Michael Kendricks uh, to New England and getting back Malcolm Butler. I think that's just a lot of uh, you know kind of scuttlebutt rumor, innuendo, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think someone was just asked, what do they think uh, the possibility or what are some trade possibilities out there? And that was just thrown out there. I don't think there's a whole lot of credence to it. You know, Michael Kendricks said that he, you know, Michael Kendricks asked to be traded after last season ended in January. And the Eagles said, well, you know, we don't want to just give away young linebackers. And, you know, you look at what Michael Kendricks has done so far this uh, season, he's been very valuable uh, to the Eagles on the field. And they're even thinking of going with a four linebacker set this week. Uh, because they're so banged up in the secondary. Uh, as far as acquiring a talent like Malcolm Butler, you know, the Eagles have cornerbacks. It's just that they're not healthy at the moment. Remember, they drafted Sidney Jones out of Washington in the second round, uh, who tore his Achilles during his pro day uh, and is out till at least midseason and maybe the rest of the season. His rehab is going pretty well. But, you know, he's a 21-year-old kid. And then you have Rasul Douglas, who you drafted in the third round, who – uh, this year, who's a 21-year-old a kid. And then you brought in Ronald Darby, who, who's injured. He's 23 years old. Uh, you know, they have a young secondary. They have Jalen Mills, one of their starters. He's 23 years old. So right there you have four kids that are 21 and 23. And I think that's their future. And if you bring in a Malcolm Butler, you know, I'm not sure where he fits long-term, whereas in the short term he would certainly help. Uh, but, you know, that's a pretty crowded uh secondary right now with some of these young kids they just need experience of course losing Darby in the opener to a dislocated ankle hasn't helped the situation he's supposed to be back mid-season uh but you know they also are banged up with Jalen Watkins a a cornerback who's not going to play on Sunday and Corey Graham a safety they brought in from Buffalo 
is ruled out for Sunday. And, you know, he's interesting because he had the second longest games played streak in the NFL uh, at 157 coming into the season. He played the first two games. So his 159 game consecutive games played streak is going to come to an end, uh, which makes William Gay's mark. He's the, you know, he leads that category. He's, he came into the season playing in 160 straight games and, uh, he's played in both games so far at corner for the Steelers. So, you know, Corey Graham's out. So, yeah, they're banged up. And Rodney McLeod, one of their starters at safety, he had a hamstring issue that he battled all week. And he did practice a little bit on Friday. Uh, but these hamstrings can flare up at any time. So they're very shorthanded in the secondary for Sunday. I think Malcolm Butler, though, would just be a short-term fix. I don't know how he would fit in the long-term picture uh, because I think the Eagles are kind of building from within. They want the secondary to kind of grow together and maybe become like a Legion of Boom type of secondary like Seattle had with a bunch of no-name players, uh, you know, including Richard Sherman, who was a fifth-round draft pick. Uh, but they were young and they grew together into what they what became a Super Bowl-winning team. Um, so I don't think that trade is really going to happen. But in the short term, yes, the Eagles are really hurting in the secondary and you look at a matchup that they, that the Giants bring to town with Odell Beckham, uh, you know, his health of course was in question. He only played, I think 60% of the snaps last week. And, you know, he brings another dimension to this offense for the Giants. It hasn't scored over 20 points in seven straight regular season games. Um, if he can get deep, if his, if his ankle is well enough to do that and the Giants can somehow find a way to protect Eli long enough to give him time to throw that deep ball, the Eagles could be in trouble because of that secondary. So the Eagles are going to try to pin their hopes on that defensive line. They've already got eight sacks in the first two games. They're playing very well. It's the strength of this team. And they're going to try to feast on an offensive line for the Giants that obviously is not playing well. And when Eli Manning gets pressured, he kind of goes into self-preservation mode and just throws the ball away. So uh, it'll be an interesting matchup to see if the Giants can protect him long enough to get guys open against a secondary that is that is really banged up. You know, you were talking about your guards, and I saw a tweet yesterday or, or earlier today. I saw it at some point come down from the Eagles asking about who will start at the left guard. And according to uh, uh, Coach uh, Pe- uh, Peterson or Pedersen or however you say his name, uh, it's, it's really still up in the air. Do you have any uh, clarification on that? Yeah, it's Peterson. And, if, you know, if you ask your players in the locker room, they all said that it's going to be uh, Chance Warmack that's going to start there in place of Isaac Siamalu, who uh, is a second-year kid who uh, is very versatile along that front. The Eagles were really high on him. They still are, I think, his best position. I think the Eagles think this, too, is center. But right now they have the veteran Jason Kelsey there. Probably Kelsey's last year, so, so Siamalu will probably start at center next year. And they, you know, they signed Chance Warmack from the Titans. They signed him to a one-year contract in the offseason. Um, he was a former 10th overall pick of the Titans and, and started every game for them. And then he got hurt last year with a hand injury after two games and was put on IR. Um, the Titans, I don't think were too much in love with his play, even though he did start a lot. I think the Eagles brought him in because he would be reunited with his former offensive line coach at the university of Alabama, who was Jeff Stoutland. You know, he's now in Philadelphia. They thought, you know, he played very well for Stoutland. Wormack did when he was at Alabama. So they thought maybe that connection would rekindle something in Warmack. And I saw, you know, Warmack struggled, in my opinion, during the preseason uh, in games that he was in. So I think they're just going to go with him because their running game is non-existent. They haven't been able to run the football, the Eagles. They're putting a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz 
to uh, to get it done. I mean, he's attempted, I think, more passes than any quarterback in the NFL right now. And even though he's improved and he's, I think, in the top five in yards, you know, in passing yards this season, you can't continue to get him hit. He's been sacked 10 times because he always has the ball in his hand. They can't run it. So my my feeling is, and this isn't talking to some of the players, is that they're going to start Chance Warmack at that left guard spot and put Isaac Ciamalo on the bench. I think Peterson didn't want to kind of reveal that uh, for the Giants. I don't know what the benefit is to that. But, uh, you know, he didn't want to give anything away. But if you talk to the players, it's going to be Warmack's chance to start and Ciamalo is going to take a seat. And they're going to hope that Warmack can spark the run game and they can run the ball more effectively against the Giants front that doesn't like to give up too many yards on the ground. So that's I just don't see the Eagles getting well on the ground no matter who plays left guard against this giant front. Uh, absolutely, and we'll see what happens with that game. But let's kind of go around. We're talking with Ed Kratz, our excuse me, our official contributor uh, to the NFL. London across the pond, uh, the Ravens and the Jaguars in London, and I'm not really made much sense out of that yet. I guess I'm just a, a good old fashioned American boy. Let's keep the NFL inside the states. I I know the NFL's pushing hard for a London team. I'd be one that votes no for that. It's okay. I guess it's okay. I don't really see the need to have this game every year, maybe every other year or what have you. Uh, but uh, what are the things to watch across the pond, the Ravens and the Jaguars in London? Well, I mean, who's going to have the home field advantage? You know, this is the Jaguars, uh, I think, their fifth trip to play in London. So I imagine they're developing a little bit of a fan base, right? I mean, fans are getting used to seeing them. It's almost like a home game for the Jaguars. Um, I'm not sure that's going to help them, though. I think the Ravens are off to a great start. They're running the ball well. Uh, they haven't had to rely too much on Joe Flacco, who, who fought an injury through the preseason. So, you know, he's had a couple extra weeks here because their running game has been so uh, so dominant in starting 2-0. and And so has their defense. You know, they, they, they're just intercepting, uh, you know, the other team real well. I think they have four interceptions their first two games. And uh, three sacks, I think, in each of their first two games. So this is going to be a tough matchup for the Jaguars. Uh, you know, we saw Leonard Fournette in that first game, had a terrific game uh, in his uh, rookie debut. Um, but in his second game, defenses are on to him. They're just going to stack eight, nine guys in the old proverbial box there to try to stop that running game and stop Fournette and make Bortles try to beat them. And, you know, Bortles, I just don't think, is capable of doing that, hasn't shown any propensity to do it. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the method to stop the Jaguars offensively. And then defensively, the Jaguars are pretty good. But, you know, I think, like I said, the Ravens, their commitment to the run, I think they're going to wear them down uh, and they're going to be able to win this game. But uh, what's cool about it is it's a 9.30 a.m. start, right? Uh, there you so go. We get to get up early and uh, put the brats <laughs> on the grill and wrap the lobster in butter and, you know, have at it. There we go. I don't know how early I'm getting up in the morning. We'll have to see how the night goes. But <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, so on the upset alert, I got New Orleans uh, is going to upset the Carolina Panthers. Uh, you know, we look at Drew Brees uh, and Cam Newton. Cam Newton's kind of got some issues with his shoulder and not really playing – his normal game. Drew Brees has kind of had a frustrating start. He wants to prove uh, some uh, some time. So, I as far as an upset alert, uh, New Orleans upsets the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Hey, you're right. Cam Newton hasn't really looked himself after you know the injury that he had, and 
you know, New Orleans is 0-2 and kind of scratching for their life. Uh, it's, it's, they're on the road. Their defense hasn't looked real good, but and their offense hasn't really been able to find a rhythm, which is kind of surprising with Drew Brees and, and uh, Sean Payton uh, at the controls there. So, yeah, I, I could see that happen. And I wasn't real good on my upset pick last week. I picked Green Bay to go into Atlanta and ruin that, uh, that home opener for Atlanta, but that didn't happen. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm not real sure – uh, who I like here, I, maybe Minnesota at home against Tampa Bay. I don't know if you'd call it an upset, I guess, because um, Case Keenum is starting and not Sam Bradford again. That You know, maybe if Minnesota wins, that's an upset. Uh, but, you know, I think Minnesota could beat Tampa Bay at home today or tomorrow, Sunday. Well, yeah, and, and you know, you may, you may have your redemption with Atlanta. I think Detroit could beat Atlanta, and I think that would be a big upset too. Yeah, they're both two and zero, um, but and Detroit's at home, so I don't know what the line is on that game. But um, yeah, that that could it happen. Is it you know, minus? Kind of like. Go ahead. Oh, I I I think it's minus three. I don't know. We'll have to ask Mo about that. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I you know. So you're right. Atlanta probably would be the favorite in that team, and uh, if Detroit can win, that would be an upset. But I, you know, that's going to be a that's an interesting game. I kind of wish that was more of a prime time game. I think that's a one o'clock game, but. Um, you know, with a primetime game Sunday night, I guess, is the, the Oakland Raiders at Washington, which, uh, you know, that, that to me is an interesting matchup. I know Oakland is firing on all cylinders, but, you know, they have to come across country, and you always wonder about teams that have to do that, you know, how they respond to that, that jet lag. And, uh, you know, Washington looked a lot better last week in beating the Rams uh, after losing to Philly in their opener. Um, so, you know, I think Washington might have a chance in that game as well to, to upset Oakland, but, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not sure that's a, that's a lock, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, speak, speak of the devil, if you will, uh, Mo from the BS sports show joins us to Mo. How is you, sir? Well, I'm alive. So, you know, so far so good on the day. That's a good thing. That's a real good thing. I'm I'm glad you're alive and able to call. Ed Kratz is out with us still. Ed, are you able to stick around for the final half hour? Sure. Sure, I can stick around. All right. So we'll kind of mix in uh, Breaking Rank. AMVETS presents Breaking Rank. Rick Riggin can't be with us today as he is here in town uh, for an AMVETS conference. Uh, but we are going to get together tonight, as I mentioned earlier, myself and one of his buddies. And uh, we're going to get together for steak and the Notre Dame game uh, and drinks. And uh, the, we've got the Uber secured mode. So as I ask Ed, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing, right? We've got all our bases. <laughs> doesn't, sound, uh, doesn't sound like anything except for uh, a lot of mischief with you boys and that Uber. Mi- mischiefness. A lot of mischievous. So, hey, we were talking a little bit in the NFL and, you know, certainly some of the upsets. Uh, Mo, I mean, Ed, you were asking, you weren't sure about the line on the Atlanta-Detroit game. Maybe you can talk with us as far as what Vegas Mo is saying about the biggest upset this week, uh, who to put your money on, who not to put your money on. What are you looking at for the NFL this week, Mo? Well, I mean, you know, you look at uh, the shocking one to me, I think, out of the gate, and the shock to everybody in the uh, in the Indianapolis area was the fact that the Colts are a home dog to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, that one seems like it's just a it's, a it's a tricky game because a lot of folks go, well, the Colts are at home and they're getting points. That sounds okay. But Cleveland's not a terrible team. It's one of those that you would uh, probably keep your money off of. I think, uh, you know, uh, an upset at this point probably – 
would be Tampa Bay losing to Minnesota with Case Keenum, who's been terrible in a backup role with most teams. Uh, he was terrible last week uh, in that uh, in that football game. Uh, so I, I think Tampa losing to uh, to Minnesota at this point would be a uh, upset just because Minnesota hasn't been able to do anything on offense when Case Keenum has been their quarterback. They're still a great defensive team and they've got weapons. The question is, can Case Keenum get him the football? Uh, you know, and, and part of me tends to fall in love with teams that are on uh, that are on hard knocks. So it's uh, it's hard not to watch that uh, that football team because they're very talented and and you know not uh, see them win big. They destroyed Chicago last week. They had an extra week of rest. Uh, I like uh, I like Tampa Bay, and again, Case Keenum's your quarterback. So you know, I think last week spoke for itself. Well, absolutely, and we're joined by uh, Ed Kratz and Mo of the BS Sports Show, and we're going to get into a breaking rank here in just a moment, but I wanted to make sure we covered all of our games. So, Ed, any final thoughts in, on in any of the games tomorrow that you want to look at and, and uh, have us have our eyes on? Well, and, and Mo can tell me what the line is on this, but the Chargers uh, hosting the Chiefs is kind of an interesting AFC West matchup, but, you know, AFC West looks like the best division in football. You have three of their teams at two and zero, and then there's the Chargers who are zero and two. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, Blockbuster Arena or whatever that stadium is, the Chargers are playing in, is a, is a home field advantage. But you know, the Chiefs had two pretty big wins to start the season. They they had to really battle to beat the Eagles last week. It was a tied game in the fourth quarter, and then uh, the Chiefs kind of took control, forcing a couple turnovers. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting game to me. Maybe the Chargers can hang in, and, and because it's a division game at home for the, for the Chargers, uh, maybe steal one from the Chiefs. I don't know, Mo, what's the, what's the line on that? Is that even close to being uh, – I think it, I think it, it dropped to, to uh, three and a half just because the Chargers have found a way to lose by a field goal a few times. So I, I think it's at three and a half. So it's one of those tricky ones that it's just enough to make you go, yeah, I can throw some money on the Chiefs, but, it, it, you know, it makes you wonder – uh, and you know, like you said, the uh, it's definitely not a home field advantage for the for the Chargers at the StubHub Center, whatever the hell that thing's called. But uh, it, it's a very it's a very tricky line uh, on this game. Yeah, I was going old school with Blockbuster on the name of that stadium. There we go. <laughs> so so uh, Mo, let's uh, kind of we're, we're, we're going to go into breaking rank brought to us by Amvets in Indiana. Amvets as well. Certainly, Amvets is a, is a great way to help local veterans by getting uh, an, an, an AMVETS membership. And certainly there's a lot of ways to become a, an AMVETS member, even if you're not a veteran yourself. And it, it is very, very much a good organization and helps uh, veterans on the local level as far as from everything from, from jobs to clothing to uh, addiction uh, uh, resources, uh, really everything across the board that a veteran and his family needs. AMVETS. Check them out, AMVETS.com, and find the local AMVETS to you. Donate the stuff that you don't want anymore to them, and they'll put it to good use for uh, the veterans. They'll even take cars. They'll take, they'll take electronics. They'll take phones. So check them out, AMVETS.com. And that's why Rick's not with us. Again, he's at the AMVETS conference here in Indianapolis. But certainly we want to talk about the games uh, of, of the week. And we'll start with, with you, Mo. And also, if you want to follow Ambets in in on Twitter here in Indiana, I I don't know all of them, but I imagine you can find it somewhere. But at Indiana Ambets on Twitter. But uh, Mo, let's talk a little bit about some of the games of the week: Oklahoma State and TCU. What are your thoughts? You know, I like that team in Stillwater. They've uh, they've looked very good so far this year. It's a, a team that uh, I think is well balanced. Uh, 
you know, TCU, I think, still leaves questions uh, for me to be answered. I like I like Oklahoma State a lot. I'm looking forward to the Oklahoma State Oklahoma game. Uh, that's the game that's really that I've got my eyes set on. But I, I like this Oklahoma State team, and I think they win this game today. Uh, Ed, do you have any thoughts on that game? Yeah, TCU's been a huge surprise. I mean, um, you know, they just keep finding ways, you know, ways to win. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with Mo there. I think being uh, on the road in Oklahoma State, and, uh, you know, Oklahoma State really has risen up the rankings. I think there's now six in the country. I just think it might be a little bit much for TCU, but uh, be a fun game to watch. That's right. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. But uh, you know, I think Oklahoma State has a little too much firepower. Well, I can tell you one thing. <laughs> Oklahoma State is a damn good team this year, and so I would not, uh, I would not put my money against Oklahoma State in this particular game. You know, it's Saturday morning. It's breaking rank, talking college football. So, of course, we've got to talk Alabama football. Alabama Mo versus Vandy. What are your thoughts? You know, my thoughts are that I wish that uh, Alabama would have scheduled better games the last couple of weeks. Uh, leading up to this game just because I get bored watching Alabama just steamroll people. And I know Vandy's an SEC team, but, you know, it feel like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for the last few years since James Franklin left. Uh, I, I think it's another easy win for Alabama today. And I think that uh, if they wind up dropping a game, this could be one of those games that they look back on and go, damn, we should have uh, scheduled a, a couple of better games a couple prior weeks so we didn't uh, have such a week three-game stretch. So I think it's an easy win for uh for uh, Alabama at this point. Ed, thoughts on yeah. Alabama and Vandy? Yeah, I'm not sure the Alabama is going to be challenged at all in the SEC this year. I just don't – I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure how strong that conference is uh, top to bottom, at least the way it used to be. Um, but, you know, Vandy, they're 3-0, and I believe, and I think they beat Kansas State last week. It was in the top 20, um, and their defense has played – pretty well Vanderbilt but this is a step up in competition obviously uh against Alabama and, and Mo's right you know you get a little tired of watching Alabama just steamroll everybody week in and week out and uh, I'm afraid that's probably what we're going to see here again uh today well I hope not go Vandy I never root for Alabama <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm an uh, I'm an unrolled tide yeah <laughs> so Talking with uh, Mo for the BS Sports Show, uh, breaking rank college football. Going to be sprinkling it in uh, some more NFL too with Ed, Ed Kratz as well. Uh, the game tonight, uh, Mo. Of course, I'll be watching it with Rick and uh, company uh, tonight. Um, Notre Dame, Michigan State. Uh, this could be a very, very good matchup. And honestly. Honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to be a hater here, and I know Rick's probably going to kick my butt for saying this, but I would say that Michigan State has a very real chance of beating Notre Dame tonight. Well, you know, Notre Dame has struggled in recent years when they've played at Michigan State, uh, you know, but this, uh, this Michigan State team was, uh, you know, lost some folks to the NFL and was rocked uh, in the off season with a bunch of sexual assault allegations with football players, with the, some starters being dismissed. Uh, but again, you know, Notre Dame has been very Jekyll and Hyde uh, this year so far too, in the early goings with their offense. Uh, I, I think it's possible that Michigan State can win this game. The line in Vegas has dropped from four and a half where it opened to three now. So it makes it very attractive to take Notre Dame and give up the three points. I do think they're a better team overall. But, again, they struggled historically at Michigan State, so it should be a, a fun, close game. Thoughts, Ed? 
Yeah, you know, I think Notre Dame kind of righted the ship last week, beating BC 49 to 20. Um, you know, they only lost to, by one point to a Georgia team that's pretty darn good. So, uh, you know, everybody seemed to kind of write Notre Dame off. And I know uh, Brian Kelly was a little testy after that loss and a bit cheerier after beating Boston College. But, you know, I think Notre Dame is a pretty good team. And um, I, I think that one point stumble could uh, prove to be an anomaly. And, you know, I think they kind of get on a roll here, and it starts at Michigan State, then they go to Miami of Ohio, and then at North Carolina, which I think just lost three starters for the season. So, um, you know, this is a good chance for, I think, Notre Dame to kind of get on a roll and show that they're a good team. Because I, I do think that Notre Dame is better than what people might think. We're talking with Mo from the BS Sports Show, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor. Mo uh, may or may not be our official bookie for the show. I'm just saying may or may not be, but uh, certainly he helps us understand a little bit about the gambling world. If you're going to do it again, do it just for fun, and we, we that's what we talk about is just for fun. But Mo does a lot of uh, time in, in sh- on radio shows out in Vegas and, and really covers this quite extensively. So certainly, if anything, he's our gambling expert. So we want talk with him about college football against the spread you know we look at this michigan purdue game i would say sell high on purdue buy low on michigan i don't know that we've learned that much in three weeks and i think the line is a minus 10 on that but uh, uh i would say uh, certainly when we look at this 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 game there aren't too many teams to be excited about betting against the spread michigan at michigan minus 10 at purdue yeah i mean you know the the Michigan uh, team won last week, but uh, definitely didn't cover their spread. The this Purdue team is much improved already. They've uh, they've kept it close against ranked opponents and won some football games, and it's a it's a scary bet either way with this team because you don't know if this is going to be a Purdue team that continues this trend of playing good against tough competition like they have the last three weeks, or are they going to be the Purdue of old and uh, and go back to their old ways? Michigan has seemed to have started slow in the first half and really played well in the second half. And this is a cool thing now that you can do. You can live bet the games as you can see how the game starts, not bet anything and then bet the second half. Uh, you know, in Michigan, I think is a team that is, is done very well in the second half. So I'm going to lay off the first half of this game. I think 10 could wind up being too much. It scares me after last week's spread and just bet the second half in this game and see what, how Purdue comes out. But it's definitely a much more exciting game now with Purdue uh, seeming like they've turned the corner from these, you know, the dark ages of these past 10 years or so. Absolutely, it's looking a lot better. I'll tell you what, the the new Purdue coach and I, I everybody knows that I'm an IU guy, but I tell you what, I am very encouraged to see how well uh, just a coaching change can make a team change its ways. Uh, Ed, any thoughts on Michigan at Purdue? Yeah, well, yeah, Purdue scoring points. I mean, you know, they got the like you mentioned the new coach Jeff Brom, uh, former quarterback, I think, at Louisville. Um, very good quarterback. He got some time in the NFL. It was. I'm not sure how much he played in the NFL, but yeah, he's a former quarterback. He knows how to run an offense and, you know, they put up 35 last week, 44 the week before they, they played Louisville to within a touchdown. And you can see what you want about Louisville. They got kind of waxed against Clemson last week. No shame there, I guess, but uh, uh, you know, but they played Louisville tough who was ranked, uh, you know, in the top uh, uh, 10, I think at the time, or maybe 15. So, you know, their offense certainly has been the calling card. They held Missouri to just three points last week. Um, you know, Michigan could be in for a battle here being at Purdue. I know that, you know, the, the fans are rejuvenated with, you know, this two and one start and the new head coach and, and they're going to turn out if Purdue can kind of hang with them in the first half, 
you know, they might be able to steal this one uh, at some point during the second half. Uh, but we'll see. You know, Michigan, I don't think, fired really on all cylinders yet, and they're still looking to play, you know, a more of a complete game and, uh, you know, produce a team that could make that difficult for them. So, I, you know, I, I'm with Mo. I think that 10-point spread's pretty high. Um, you know, I might be tempted to put money on Purdue to keep it close. Now, there you go. I think Michigan will find a way to win and maybe even find enough points uh, to, to co- cover that spread, but I, I think it would be a good opportunity to bet against that spread. Well, Betting against – go ahead, Mo. Go ahead. Sorry, and, and Tom, you know, I think the thing that will continue to help this Purdue team uh, is, you know, because obviously Brahms playing with uh, with guys that weren't his recruits, but I think when they upgrade the facilities there for the football program, this team will be able to recruit better because, let's be honest, their football stadium's a dump. Uh, they don't have great facilities for the football team. They've always historically been a basketball school. I think when the with some success this year in Purdue and raises some money to put some money into the football program, I think that helps Brahms tremendously recruit better players to that program. Uh, you know, I, I think that's one thing that's hurt him in the past, too, is just not having great football facilities. So I think Purdue's on the right track, and I, hopefully they can upgrade the facilities there to make it a much better experience for players and for the fans. Well, Andrew Luck may not be on the field this, this week, but his Stanford, uh, his alma mater, or however you say that, graduated from Stanford, they are going to be on the field. And they, they settled for a home game really kind of mo after a weird three-game opening stretch with two road games and then that neutral uh, site game in, in Australia. Uh, Jim Mora has to bring UCLA back for a second straight road game. The Cardinals have won nine straight over UCLA. I think the spread is a, a minus seven and a half. Uh, I think this is a safe game to bet against the, the spread. Uh, uh, and Stanford will have a very comfortable win. Well, you know, uh, I, the one the bet that actually looks good to me in this one is the over. You know, Stanford was able to score some pretty hefty points in a few games. UCLA uh, in the shootout last week scored a lot of points. Uh, you know, and uh, if you want to continue to uh, to see some Heisman talk there at UCLA, they need to have a good game and a win. Uh, you know, it, it's a game that, uh, again, that I think is going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to wind up being the over. And I, you're right, I think Jim Moore needs a win. And I think you could be looking at possibly maybe David Shaw as the uh, next coach of the Indianapolis Colts should uh, the uh, outrageous <laughs> offer of Jim Harbaugh fall through at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, you could be looking at a guy, you know, either coach that could be on the move either because of being fired or because of, uh, because of being hired somewhere else. So this is an intriguing game on a lot of different levels. But I think if you're going to bet this football game, the over uh, is probably the best play at, uh, at 58 and a half. Uh, absolutely. Wow. And, and go ahead, um, Mo. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, my thoughts are um, Stanford owns UCLA, don't they? I mean, they've won I think nine in a row uh, over mm-hmm. UCLA. And, and and I know when UCLA is on, I always try and watch some of it because I like to see Josh Rosen and I like to see how his skills might translate into the NFL. And uh, twenty Mo mentions David Shaw being maybe the next coach of the Colts. I mean, teams have tried to get Shaw, you know, out of Stanford for years they've been you know the Eagles tried to get him to come uh, for an interview before they named Doug Peterson their head coach but he wanted to stay at Stanford my understanding was it's because he had young kids uh, that he wanted to put through Stanford for the reduced rate of free because he works there Uh, (laughs) so it may not be so easy to lure him you'd almost have to hope he gets fired uh, because I'm not sure he's too anxious to leave there no matter you know, what offers out, are out there in a way. Now, each year is different. Maybe he sees things differently. But I just think he's a tough guy to pry away from Stanford. He loves it out there. 
Um, but, you know, like you said, maybe Stanford just decides to move on and gets rid of him, and that makes him a free agent. Maybe he comes to Indy. I don't know. But uh, as far as this game goes, I think Stanford's going to find a way to win, too. Uh, you know, that nine-game winning streak to me is a trend, and I like trends, so I'll go with Stanford in this game. And a lot of points, Shit. like Mo said, that 58 is a lot, but I, I think it'll hit that. Should be a great game, a really good game to watch, certainly on my radar to uh, watch. We're doing our normal breaking range segment brought to you by AmVets. Guys, seriously, now, AmVets.com, check them out. I mean, everybody knows a veteran. I know a veteran. I'm a veteran. Rick's a veteran. Everybody knows somebody in their family. Uh, But the important thing is everybody also knows that veterans don't always get everything that they need, or maybe they're too prideful to, to get the things they need. The AMVETS help them out with a lot of resources, again, from uh, addiction issues to clothing issues to money to really whatever they need on a very, very local level. You hear a lot about these national charities, even though AMVETS is national all over the United States, AMVETS.com. The great thing about them is they are local. So at Indiana AMVETS, Follow them on Twitter. If you're in Indiana here in Indianapolis, you can go and donate anywhere. There's almost a a place where you can find to donate. And here's the other great thing about AMVETS. If you don't have the time or the ability to donate, they'll come and pick it up for you. They'll just tell you, hey, we'll be out there whenever. Will you guys be there? Yes. They'll come and pick it up for you. It is that easy. And really, guys, honestly, it's very, very important that you support uh, the veterans. And they support breaking ranks, so another good reason to, to support them. Mo from the BS Sports Show helps us on understanding the uh, fun of gambling, if you will, in, in, the, in the games, if we will. Before we get back to against the spread, who the hell is done with uh, Tennessee's uh, coach? I am done with Butch Jones. That game last week against Florida – should have sealed his fate. Tennessee Volunteers need to need to fire Butch Jones and go forward with something else. Newsflash: Peyton Manning hasn't played there for years. They aren't that good anymore, Mo. <laughs> You're right, but you know when you go to fire a coach, here's the one question I always ask: is is who are you going to get that's better? Tennessee's a program that's had trouble with uh, head coaching hires recently. You know they had the, the debacle with Lane Kiffin. Uh, who do you get that's better? It's a, it's a coach that need. It's a program that needs a. I think a high profile coach. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's probably time for him to go. But who do you bring in at this point that's better? Do you give a just a random coordinator job? I don't. I don't think that does the trick. So you, I think you've got to bring in uh, somebody with some name value. But is it just going to be another retread? So if you're going to dismiss Butch Jones, and, and by all you know likelihood they should or will. Uh, you've got to have somebody lined up ready to come in that's going to, I think, wow that fan base and wow that program. And I don't know who that is. You know, lure Bob Stoops out of retirement. What uh, what do you do there? So it's uh, I, I agree with you that it's probably time for him to go, but you've got to have somebody loaded up ready to go. It just can't be a, hey, we're going to get rid of him now. Oh, crap, what do we do? So it's uh, it's got to yeah. be something that I think is calculated on the part of the athletic director there at Tennessee. Absolutely. Ed, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't know. I just think I, I, it was, I loved hearing the final call from uh, Florida's radio broadcast. That was, that was great. If you've not heard it, just, just Google final call Tennessee, uh, Tennessee versus Florida. You talk about a guy just losing it, you know, just going hysterical. You would have thought that they would have just won the national championship. However, who lets that happen? Did you see the end of that game, Ed? Uh, no, I did not see the end of that game. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but 
you know, if Butch Jones loses to UMass today, then you might get your wish. <laughs> you know, he gets fired sooner rather than later. Um, but Mo's right. I mean, who who the heck are you going to bring in? I mean, um, I'm not real familiar with his staff. I mean, if you're Canham midway through the season here or early in the season, who are you going to put in charge? It's got to be someone from his staff. And I'm not, you know, real familiar with his staff. And uh, as far as a long-term answer, you know, I – I watch a lot of the Penn State football, obviously. and You know, their offensive coordinator at Penn State, Joe Moorhead, who had head coaching experience at Fordham, and he won games while he was at Fordham, which never happened before in Fordham's history, and it hasn't happened since he left. But you watch this Penn State offense and, and how they're able to move the football. I think Joe Moorhead could be, you know, a hot candidate to take over somewhere. Now, if they want to go uh, higher profile, Name than that, then I'm not sure exactly who's out there. David Shaw may be at Stanford. His name gets mentioned <laughs> a lot. But, um, but, you know, I'm not sure who that would be. But, I, you know, I like Joe Moorhead as a, as a possible head coach sooner rather than later. You know, if Penn, I know Penn State's got some athletes, but, boy, what he does with that offense uh, is really remarkable to me. And he up-tempos at the right time. He, he gets his quarterback out on the edge. And, uh, you know, he's a really good offensive coordinator who does have – a winning history as a head coach at a school that has never won before and hasn't won since. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if that'd be good enough for Tennessee, but, you know, he's someone that could be on some team's radar uh, in the off season. Well, I want to get back to you against the spread because this is also what I would consider the best game of the week, and that is USC versus Cal. The spread is a is a is a minus sixteen and a half. Uh, Mo USC has had its ebbs and flows, its ups and its down in the post Carroll era, but one consistent beating against Cal against the spread. The Trojans have covered seven of their last eight. USC has efficient, balanced, explosive offense with a great quarterback. Cal is just average, mediocre against the run. Uh, Cal has started uh, slowly this season. The Bears have tra- trailed at halftime, and all three of their wins starting slowly against USC would be suicidal. Trojans by a lot. Bet against the spread on USC, minus 16 and a half. Yeah, it actually moved over this morning to minus 17, which, you know, a lot of times a half point might not make a big difference, but it could be the difference between a push, a loss, uh, in a win, but uh, yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's hard not to go with Southern Cal in this football game. It just in these games, especially in-state rivalry games, it's so hard when the spread's that high, uh, you know, to make me want to bet on the game. I might uh, I might bet a first half on it, but it, it's 17 points. I think Southern Cal probably does cover this, but it's a it's a lot of points for me to lay my hard-earned money on. Ed. Yeah, uh, those big lines are tough. Um, you know, but USC has owned this rivalry, much like uh, what we talked about earlier with Stanford beating UCLA uh, nine times in a row. USC's won 13 in a row over Cal, and um, they're they're a team that I like to peek in on because of their quarterback Sam Darno, who again will his skills translate to the NFL level. Uh, he hasn't been as good this year so far as he was last year. More prone to mistakes. I think he's got six interceptions. He only threw nine last year. So, you know, he's already threatening that mark. So, you know, if Darno continues to make mistakes, California could keep it close uh, and and maybe come in under that spread. But um, I I just don't, you know, I don't know. And like Mo said, these in-state rivalries are tough. You know, these guys, these schools are recruiting the same type of athletes. Um, So it's almost like these divisional games in the NFL where you don't know, 
from week to week, you know, like a team like the Chargers could beat the Chiefs. That could happen with California and USC. I doubt it. But 16 is a lot to lay. I'm not sure I would do that. Or 17, Mo, I think, is now what the line is. Yeah. Uh, Mo, let's uh, continue uh, against the spread with the NFL while we've still got some time. I'm going to name the spreads on these teams, and you just uh, out of these you tell me uh, which is the best to bet against the spread. Against the spread, uh, minus five, Panthers versus Saints. Against the spread, minus five and a half, Eagles versus Giants. Against the spread, Patriots minus 13.5 versus Texas. Uh, we just talked about the Chargers, plus three against the Chiefs, uh, plus three the Cardinals versus the Cowboys. Out of those games, who would you bet against the spread, and who, who is the, the best bet out of those games? Well, I, I like Kansas City, uh, the, the minus three uh, against the Chargers. The Chargers – uh, you know, seem to find a way to lose uh, at every game. And, you know, worst-case scenario, they lose by a field goal, I still get a push, and push is always better than a loss. So probably the, the Chargers-Kansas City game. Uh, and, you know, and the one game that I'm really looking at that you didn't mention is Baltimore and Jacksonville. Uh, you know, I think maybe some of the Vegas guys haven't given Baltimore enough credit. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco still is their quarterback and still is a very serviceable guy. At this point, though, you've got to be wondering if people in London are going, you know what, America, we're trying to embrace your version of football, but please stop sending us the damn Jaguars over here every year. You know, how are you going to love football when you watch the Jaguars play every, every year? Uh, but I do like Baltimore minus the uh, three and a half uh, in that football game. You know what it is, Mo? We're actually trying to get rid of the Jaguars. We're trying to send them to London. You know, we're trying to let them, them stay over there. I mean, uh, the, their owner is a, is a soccer uh, owner, so maybe they just want to fuse their their soccer team with the Jaguars, and we just completely get rid of them. Certainly get rid of them out of the AFC South. That it would increase the chances for the Colts. So, Mo, what are your thoughts on against the spread in the NFL? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the big thing. I like I like that one, and, but I do like uh, you know Arizona. I think they they might stumble at home uh, this week. They a close win last week, and you know we're going to see teams fought those close wins. You have to feel like the Cowboys rebound this week. I can't imagine that Elliott and Prescott have the same combined bad game that they did last week. So you got to feel that the, that that game is going to go Dallas's way. Uh, I don't think Arizona is a, that uh, that good of a football team. Uh, I think Carson Palmer still uh, has got a little bit left in him, but not enough to make them a, a serious contender this year. David Johnson's injury uh, hurts a lot. So I think that's a game that uh, the Dallas can uh, easily cover that spread as well. And FYI to our affiliate stations, two and a half minutes before we lose our stream and we'll automatically go into the balance extra for just a few minutes when we just kind of get final thoughts and it will just be online. But the great thing about it is if you're listening to us on the podcast, you won't, you won't even know the difference. So if you do lose us on the stream, just stand by for a few minutes. It will be up on iTunes and, and or you can go to live on Blog Talk and be able to hear. So that's it coming up in about two minutes. So close to the two-minute warning on that. So uh, – Ed, let's get your thoughts against the spread. Are, are, is there any games out there that we didn't mention that you might think, eh, I, I, would, I would put some money on that game against the spread? Well, you know, I think the Giants and the Eagles, um, I think was a five and a half uh, now. I mean, I think that game could be pretty close. I know the Giants are offensively challenged. Uh, they do struggle to score points, obviously. Uh, you know, they haven't been over 20 points in a game, you know, for seven straight games and you know, that's, that's pretty ugly. But, uh, you know, the Eagles also have some issues defensively that 
could allow the Giants to maybe put some points on the board this week. And I think five and a half points uh, in a division game like this, the Giants are fighting to uh, prevent going 0-3 and to sort of save their season. Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, earlier in the week, the Giants' DN called it a must-win game. Uh, I know they're coming into the Philadelphia to play this game. It's the Eagles' home opener. Uh, so that stadium is going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. But I think the Giants, uh, it's, a, it's an NFC East game. I think the Giants can keep it close and maybe keep it, you know, under that point spread of five and a half. We've got 90 seconds left on the live stream, guys. If you do lose us on the live stream, we're going to continue with Balance Extra for a few minutes uh, to get final thoughts and things that, that uh, we, we didn't cover. So and we're talking with Ed Kratz, our official uh, NFL contributor and Mo from the BS Sports Show. Helps us kind of understand the gambling, and we're just kind of BS with Mo about sports, uh, obviously uh, because he's from the BS so Sports Show. Uh, so uh, we don't overthink it on this show at all. So uh, let's <laughs> – Ed, let's talk a little bit about some of the coaches that might be on the hot seat after week three. Uh, it's never happened before in Indianapolis Colts history. Uh, the Ursays have never fired a coach midseason. However, I also know the Ursays do not want to be embarrassed. If the Ursays are embarrassed, a good chance of that. Here's the other thing. Uh, Jim Ursay is a figurehead for the Colts. He is the owner of the Colts. I think his daughter's making a lot of decisions. I think he's letting uh, his family begin to take over the family business, if you will. And Ballard has a lot of decisions on that. So I don't know how much in the actual decision process that that Ursay has given uh, will be given to Pagano. However, uh, if the Colts lose to the Browns, does Pagano get fired after week three? Well, I think you could ask that question after each week now with Pagano. Yeah, I think he's on thin ice for sure, and it's a matter of do they pull the trigger midseason. And then, and then, like we talked about earlier, you know, with uh, if they fire uh, Butch Jones in Tennessee, who are you going to bring in midseason? I don't. Again, I'm not sure who his coordinators are, um, but you know, maybe you make one of them the interim. I think week three is a little too soon to fire head coaches. I know Cincinnati fired their offensive coordinator uh, after the, after two losses, so. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Marvin Lewis and Cincinnati's in trouble. They're sitting at 0-2, and, and Andy Absolutely. Dalton looks horrible, hasn't progressed. But, you know, how many times has Marvin Lewis been on the on the bubble here uh, of getting fired, and yet they continue to show faith in him and bringing him back. But I, I think this might be his last straw. And, uh, you know, you look at a, a team like the Arizona Cardinals, you know, Bruce Arians is, is up there in age, and that, that core – the core players there are older also with uh, Carson Palmer. I think he's 37 and Larry Fitzgerald's 34. You know, they could be looking to, to kind of clean house there should Arizona uh, continue to stumble. Um, and they have a tough game obviously with the Cowboys on Monday night. So, you know, I think those, those coaches there could be in trouble. And then maybe a guy like Todd Bowles in New York with the Jets, it's through really no fault of his own. They just can't figure out a quarterback there, but you know, the Jets are certainly looking like a team that, you know, is headed for a two and fourteen type of year or a three win season, and that could put Todd Bowles in trouble uh, up there in New York too. So, uh, you know, there, there's always coaches on the bubble. It's just, are you ready to pull the string and cut them after just two weeks? I think that's a little too soon for a head coach. I think you need to go at least toward toward the mid season mark and see where you stand at that point. Well, absolutely, and, and we'll get your thoughts too, Mo. And by the way, welcome to Balance Extra. This is just kind of our overtime period where we just kind of uh, final thoughts and just uh, finish up uh, the, the show a little bit extra. So we, we spent a few minutes, uh, and we're just online, and, and uh, we're not on our stream. So we, this is uh, 
the balanced extra. But, uh, you know, some uh, uh, names you didn't mention on, on the hot seat might be Sean Payton, might be Coach Fox up in Chicago. Uh, however, if Chicago finds a way to beat the Steelers, that will that will say a lot in the city of Chicago. Mo, what are your thoughts, coaches, on the hot seat week three? Well, you know, I think in, in Indianapolis, I think what's really the point, I mean, unless you're embarrassed by the Browns, what's really the point of firing Chuck Pagano, I think, you know, if they're if they're thinking that uh, Andrew Luck's going to come back in Week Five and they're going to eat into the playoffs uh, because of the, how weak the AFC South could potentially be, I think that's asinine. Uh, you know, I, I'm of the school of thought that you you don't play Andrew Luck this year uh, if you don't have to, and uh, and you know hopefully get yourself a draft pick that you can you know trade uh, just like the Rams did RG3 to the Washington Redskins and get a haul back for it. But uh, the one interesting thing that Ed brought up that I think could change all that is. What if Arizona did fire Bruce Arians? Because let's be honest, that's I think who the Colts wanted to be their head coach when uh, when Arians left. But yeah. how do you fire a guy who's coming back from cancer? Uh, so I think yep. that's the guy they initially wanted. So that could make a, a very interesting scenario. Uh, should Bruce Arians not make it through the season or, or is fired after the season, uh, could he be back as Indianapolis' head coach? If he becomes available, maybe the Colts do move quicker because I think that's the guy they uh, initially wanted. But, you know, it's – Again, if you're going to clean house with coordinators and coaches, I, I just that's one thing I've never understood. If you're not uh, if, if you're not in contention, why do it midseason? What's what's really the point? You know, what who are you making a statement to? Your fans? You're already in the middle of a lost season, anyways. So you know, I just I think it's 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 usually a terrible move to fire them uh, uh, midseason. Just to let coordinators who are obviously doing a terrible job as well uh, it, take over. So. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I'd bring up the uh, the Arizona thought that uh, that could make a very interesting scenario in the front office there at Indianapolis should that happen. So, guys, the final topic for Balance Extra, and I wanted to get it into the live broadcast, but we weren't able to do that. But I did really want to take some time to talk about this. I, I, I texted each of you uh, when the, the news came down. It was like the biggest news at all. And you can call me a prophet if you want. I, I am a prophet. Call me Prophet Tom. Call me Prophet El Presidente because I said to coworkers, I said to other people, as soon as this came down, that it was, it was found out that uh, Aaron Hernandez has – Level 3 uh, CTE, uh, that this is going to become the story of why he's a murderer and why he committed suicide, because look at the people who have committed suicide because of CTE. Here's my thing. Here's my little rant. CTE is very, very real, and it should be taken very, very seriously. And there are people who have suffered from it. So I am not minimizing the casualties of CTE. I think what has happened is the mainstream media, as they always do, they blow it up and make everything about a particular topic. And I think this is just another avenue that the media are working to to push uh, uh, more money toward the players and this and that, as if they don't get paid enough. Now, d- don't get me wrong. CTE is real. But CTE did not make Aaron Hernandez a murdering Thug. He committed suicide because he could not handle life in prison, and he took the chicken crap way out of life, and so be it. That's my thoughts. CTE had nothing to do with it. Ed, what are your thoughts? Uh, right right along those same lines. I, CTE is very real. It's a very real problem, and, you know, guys do end up killing themselves. They're very depressed, but, you know, with in Aaron Hernandez's case, you know, clearly he's a guy that's not getting out of jail anytime soon, and uh, you know, everybody thought at the time it was the chicken's way out, and I don't think CTE kind of changes that. I think when you're looking at life in a you know an eight by twelve box, uh, 
uh, you know, for another, and he was a young guy, you know, for another 50 years or 40 years, that's a very daunting prospect. And, um, you know, I think that there, there's more to the CTE that led to Aaron Hernandez to kill himself. But that's not to minimize anything about CTE. It is definitely real, and, and it's an issue that the NFL has to deal with, you know, whether it's through better technology with helmets or, or uh, you know, I've always said, hey, put them back in leather helmets, you know, because with the, with the padding they have on their heads, they're leading with their heads. <laughs> it gives them that headbutting ability. And if you put them in, in leather helmets again like they used to wear, then you're learning how to form tackle correctly and you're not using your head as a weapon. Um, but I don't think that'll ever happen, but they need to do something <laughs> to kind of uh, minimize the damage that's being done to the brains in the NFL. Absolutely. Well, maybe it's the NFL that has problems with their organizational brains, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, did I mention <laughs> Roger Goodell? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts, buddy? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, did CTE cause him to murder people? No, I don't think so, because from all reports, he was a uh, a humongous douche uh, thug before, you know, back in his, his teen years. So I don't think that had any cause on him uh, doing what he did. But the funny thing to me about CTE is that we bring it up a ton with the NFL, but we really don't talk about college. You know, we, we don't talk about uh, all the hits these guys take in college. And I know there's targeting penalties and stuff like that, but it seems like the majority of the, uh, of the blame always falls on the NFL, which I find to be, uh, you know, just strange to me because these guys are going through, uh, you know, even more practices in the college ranks. They're, uh, you know, so it, it's it's funny to me that the NFL bears the brunt of this. But to me, you know, both college football and the NFL had put their heads in the sand for a long time, hoping this would go away, and I don't think it is anytime soon. Uh, but it, it can't be to the point where some of these other players talked about to where there's not uh, any information on it, whether they didn't know the dangers. These guys all know this now, and they still continue to lead with their heads and, and have these kind of collisions at some point you have to stop feeling bad for their quality of life afterwards. They're getting paid to do this. They're doing it by choice and they know the risks and the dangers. You've seen a lot of guys retire after a year or two uh, now, but and maybe that'll be the continuing trend. It uh, CT is a very real thing. I don't think it contributed to Aaron Hernandez's bad acts at all. Uh, I do find it kind of ironic and somewhat hilarious that they did house him in a, in a prison that was, you know, in the shadows of uh, uh, there in Foxborough where he used to have all of his success. I think maybe maybe that was rough to take every day too. But, uh, you know, I, I would like to see the onus be put on college football as well to start trying to uh, handle this much sooner than it, it, all the onus fall in the NFL. Are they at fault? Yeah, I think they are. But I think that uh, that you can look at college football just as well. And it, it's, uh, it's ironic they kind of escape a lot of the criticism for this. Well, I can tell you one thing. The state and family of Aaron Hernandez uh, are suing the NFL, uh, saying that CTE is the cause of all of this. And I, I agree. I very rarely do I agree with Roger Cadell, but I do agree with Roger Cadell's stand. He said the NFL will defend it, uh, will, will fight this vigorously. And, and uh, you know, the, the thing about it, maybe his state is broke and they need money, and maybe the NFL, they, they think the NFL uh, will give them money to, to have them shut up about it. Uh, but the, the thing about it is, whether or not they win the lawsuit or not, there certainly has to be something done about it. But I don't want Aaron Hernandez to be the poster child for, for CTE. That's my point, and that's what's starting to happen. Hopefully this story dies off uh, relatively soon sooner than later well guys that's gonna do it we got to put a bow on it and put a wrap on it final thoughts ed kratz week three of the nfl uh final thoughts let's see if ezekiel elliott will actually put forth an effort this week monday night he was accused of quitting <laughs> last week uh you know being shut down by the denver broncos defense 
uh, and we'll see if he responds Monday night. I think he will. Uh, I think the Cowboys will respond with a victory and further heating up the seat of Cardinals coach Bruce Arians. Mo, final thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and it's ironic for the first time in a long time, Ezekiel was accused of something that didn't involve him harming a woman. So uh, kudos to him. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we got to call it a day. I, I, and our official contributor uh, for the NFL on the balance, uh, I know people can follow you on Twitter, but how do they do that? Yeah, at Kratzy, A at K-R-A-C-Z. You can follow me uh, on, on Twitter, and I, I post stuff there all the time. Mo, what about you? Working uh, work masterpieces, and where can people uh, find you and uh, Elvis? Uh, what are you and, and Mr. Elvis working on this week? Uh, we're working on trying to uh, continue not to strangle each other uh, with arguments <laughs> before the show, or during the show, or after the show. Uh, uh, at, uh, at Mo Radio Show and BS Sports The Fan. You guys do have a love-hate relationship, that's for sure. All right, guys, we'll talk with you soon, and have yourself a good weekend. And uh, we'll, and uh, Rick says hello to both of you via text just now. So he's saying hello. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll Thanks, guys. Uh, see you all right, bye. bye. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.